Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina Thursday morning, December 14, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Feeling better? Much better. Okay, good deal. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Josh has paid his debt in full. Oh, I've got four oh, yeah. cough drops here. <laughs> he returned so the, we're square. Did he return the ones he borrowed? We're square and ones? skinny. He handed me a couple. I said, that's good. He said, no, I borrowed four. Such a virtuous soul we've got in that uh, production chair, Rev. Um, <laughs> we're, we're debating. Josh and I are trying to figure out what to do about health insurance. Um, I'm in a different predicament than he is. Um, Josh is young and healthy, so he's kind of in the Obamacare model. He's responsible for subsidizing the older and unhealthier. I'm older but not unhealthy. So I'm getting – Josh and I both have agreed we're getting screwed mm-hmm. on these um, health care exchanges, and I ain't into getting screwed. So, so, so I, we're looking for alternatives to um, some of the mainstream um, – I think Josh is going to talk to Christian Levis, our good friend. He and I are exploring together, Reb. And it's kind of interesting. These guys are better at technology than I am. So I'll send Josh a text and said, hey, check out one of these Christian sharing programs and see if I, I mean, I know they're valid. I mean, I know they're out there and they're trustworthy and they've been around uh, since the beginning of time, but I've never had one. And I don't think Josh was that aware of, um, of where our best options or alternatives are. And it's the struggle to try and save a buck. I mean, really and truly, it's all about the struggle to try and save a buck. One, one, of the, one of the most unusual arguments that I've heard in politics today, and we got no time for NIL. Okay. I mean, we, we've got a lot of politics going okay, on in America today. Right in. And we've got a week, and then we're off a week. So you and I have to work doubly as hard to make sure we engage and inform our audience about the political goings on so we don't have time for is juice coming back or not. Um, you know, I did read a little bit about that, and I, I guess Rocket committed yesterday. I to told the you, Rev, yeah. never doubt the birdies the, in my head. Right, the Rockets did red glare yesterday. Never right. doubt the pre-dawn birdies that whisper <laughs> things in my head, and I thought I heard Rocket um, last night at about probably 250, 245 in my deep sleep. These birdies visit me from time to time. Um, I mean, I'm not schizophrenic, but I am, I guess I'm just this side of, uh, of that. So, so the debate now is... And, and Gamecock land is juice has tested the market, and the market has not been quite as um, kind of juice as he imagined it would be. Why not do this if you're a Gamecock or a Tiger? I think the Gamecocks and Tigers can agree on this. We don't agree on much when it comes to college football or basketball or baseball or women's basketball or soccer. Um, since the Gamecocks believe women's basketball really matters, the Tigers believe soccer really matters, the only two sports that really matter in America in the mainstream, or football and, and uh, men's basketball. I mean, that, that, that's the two sports that, what we call revenue sports. The others are, you know, dead weight when it comes to balancing the budget. But I think the Gamecocks and Tigers can agree to this. I'm thinking about two or three Tiger fans that listen early in the morning. I know they do because they sent me texts during the early uh, wee hours of the morning. I think the Gamecocks and Tigers can agree that the best thing for a, a Gamecock or Tiger to do once they establish themselves a certain reputation with the fan base, why begrudge that? I mean, why why try to get an extra 50 grand from Ole Miss or Texas or Arkansas? I mean, if you're an in-state kid and you're probably not going to the NFL, why not build relationships that will hold you in high regard for the rest of your life? I'll, I'll give an example. Um, I mean, this would be a little different because he did go off and play the NBA Rex Chapman 
of Kentucky Wildcat basketball fame, went and got drafted by, the, I think, the Charlotte Hornets back in the day. Didn't work out. I mean, he had some, he had some decent years in the NBA. He was a high draft choice, so he probably made a good bit of money. Now, this would have been before the 700 million 10-year contracts, um, but he made enough money, I would imagine, to be comfortable. I don't think he could – I mean, Chapman probably didn't make enough by the time taxes and agents and all these other things get their share. Um, I mean, there's a lot left, but it ain't as much as you think. I mean, that, that, once again, there's a lot left in mine and your world, but not as much as you as you would imagine. But Chapman went back to Lexington and got into the financial services business. And from what I've gathered, he's Rex Chapman. What stock do you think ought to buy Rex? I don't know. I got people that do. I'm Rex Chapman. I don't keep up with that. <laughs> Remember me? The Kentucky Wildcat basketball great that came back home. I mean, why wouldn't a Gamecock or Tiger find value? I mean, I so understand. His, so his brand is Sure. Worth. I mean, be and, good to the people that were good yeah, to you. Yeah. But that's that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty mature and grown-up thought for a teenager to figure out, Dick right? Carrie and Joyner did it. Yeah. I mean, Dickerry and Joyner, every time we turn around, he's thanking the fans. He's thanking the Gamecock faithful. He's thanking them. I mean, I'm and, sure and, they're and Tigers legendary. doing it. I mean, with sure. the fans, people. A, a very average him. football player. We love him. Adored and, in and, Gamecock and, and, and that's your point. I get it. I mean, if there if there's a car dealer that needs a salesman that may get some of the inside deals, and he's a big Gamecock fan, I mean, do you think he's going to look after Juice Wells or Dickerry and Joyner? I mean, there's some loyalty, and loyalty goes both ways. And I, and I, if I'm a Gamecock or a Tiger, I mean, I know they're 18 and 19, and it's hard to convince 18 and 19-year-olds to do anything. That well, well, to <laughs> see that far down the road. I mean, and, you're and, right, but but somebody sit that kid down. Somebody in his in his universe of influence sit that kid down and say, look, I get it. I mean, Juice, Ole Miss may pay you an extra 50 grand a year for your basket of football um, prowess for one year. But, but eventually, where are you going to live? I mean, are you going to come back home to Columbia? Are you coming back home to Greenville or Clemson? Um, because if you do, there, there's going to be one interpretation of what you did or another interpretation of what you, uh, of what you've done. And I just think, I mean, I used to carry and Joyner as an example, cause I, I'm sure there's a tiger that has done that, but to carry and, you know, just, just remained loyal to the Gamecock nation. The Gamecock nation will at every chance they get, I believe kind of return the favor. I mean, it, it would not be to the extent of Rex Chapman because once again, Chapman would have been a national name. I mean, he was, uh, one of the one of the best college basketball players in all of America back in that in that period of time. I just think Juice Wells made a bad decision. I got no idea who gave him advice, um, and he may end up at Ole Miss, may end up in Texas, may end up making more money, may end up going to the NFL as a first round draft choice, and never have to worry about you know the Gamecock faithful again. But but I would make that part of my negotiate personal and introspective negotiation. I, I would include hey these people have been good to me. I mean, I, you know, I've done well on the football field, but my life on the football field is going to be what? Two more years, another year, three, whatever that time period is. And, and if you kind of, um, if you're a fan, if you're a favorite of the Tigers, make the Tigers a favorite of you. <laughs> if you're a favorite of the Gamecocks, make the Gamecocks a favorite of, um, of how you want to live. And I just, I think once again, I think Juice is doing everything wrong. <laughs> I think the Kerry and Joyner did everything Everything right. 843 <laughs> is so our much number. For not talking about NIL. Well, right? I mean, that, that's NIL, but life in general. That's true. I mean, there are life lessons true. involved I, in that. I did say they they released the schedules for next year, right? Mm. You mm. see that? Yeah, I did. Did you I see did. the game? I, I squinted my eyes real hard <laughs> when I looked at it. Playing, uh, 
at Alabama and at Oklahoma yeah. back-to-back weeks? Here's what I was hoping for. You ready? <laughs> I was hoping for a road game in Tuscaloosa followed by a bye week. Right. To at least get enough players checked out of the hospital to be ready for the trip to Norman. Oh, oh no, no, no. October 12 in Tuscaloosa. October 19 in Norman. Um, how's that fit your fancy Gamecock Nation? Um, anyway, I think home games against LSU. Uh, the Gamecocks have to do what Kentucky's doing. Kentucky's figuring out a way when they play Louisville at home, they're having eight home games. The Gamecocks need to stop playing the neutral site game against North Carolina. I mean, I like that game. I love that game. I think it's good for the states when the flagship universities play one another at the beginning of the season. I get it. I understand that. But Kentucky is a half game better than they really are for the last three years because they figured out a way when they play Louisville at home. You can't do it when you play Clemson on the road. I mean, you can't swing eight home games when you play Clemson on the road. But when you play Clemson at home, there's a way to get eight home games. And they've got to figure mm-hmm. out um, that because, once again, home games are, you know, more winnable football games normally. Um, I don't think it matters where you play Alabama and Oklahoma. That's going to be a heavy lift for the Gamecocks. Yeah. Um, unless the South Florence kid is the savior of Lenore's. our generation. Right. <laughs> yeah, unless he's a, uh, we'll see. that. That'll, yeah. um, he'll learn on the job, and he'll he learn in the fire. No question but about what's, that. What's weird for me is no Georgia, no Tennessee, no Florida no on question the about it. schedule. But when I looked at that, I'm like, that can't be. I mean, since 1992, it's been Georgia early in the season. It's been Tennessee and Florida before Clemson. I mean, it's been kind of the orange crush part of the schedule for many, many, many years. I mean, if I were going to use something as an excuse, I don't. Try not to. But if I were going to use something as an excuse of why Clemson beat up on the Gamecocks in that kind of run in the early age of the SEC, it would be because the Gamecocks were not deep. Still not deep. Um, Thin rosters, not a lot of depth. Play, you know, Tennessee one week. Florida the next week, Clemson the following week. We always called it the orange crush part of the schedule, and it took its toll on a team that lacked depth. Georgia can kind of get away with that. Um, so, but, yeah, I saw the schedule, and it's – um, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, Rev. We were asking – I mean, I did on Facebook a couple of weeks back to Tiger fans, would you rather be in the SEC or Big Ten? And it was overwhelming SEC. Now, Jason Priester, our good friend, says no. I've been trained and conditioned to hate the SEC. I don't want to be in the game. But you look at those schools. You look at those southern schools and their fan bases and their football culture. I mean, it's where Clemson should be. I mean, Clemson on the Gamecock schedule looks like another SEC game. I mean, it does. you got Walford. you got Akron. You've got, ah, uh, there's another, you know, lightweight on the schedule. Old Dominion. Might be Old Dominion. Old Dominion, Akron, and, and Walford. But every other team, including Clemson, are legit. I mean, they're legit. Yeah. I mean, I know you got Vandy, and that would be, you know, the 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 lightest of the the conference schedule. But everybody on that schedule is just. I mean, it, it's it's um it's SEC football and Clemson, and and I'll say this again on that schedule looks like an extension of the SEC. They just do. You know, you got Alabama, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, LSU, Clemson, and they look like they belong there. But it's not my my call to make. Um, 843-661-0937. We've got a lot of political news, um, very timely missing some of this political news. Um, but but I want to I start by kind of going down the road of something that we touched on yesterday because Tucker Carlson has made this accusation um, about war. 
Tucker argues that the the resistance to Trump is not multifaceted. I mean, the, we try to make it real complicated. I mean, you know, this um this out of the box business guy who's never run for office before. But Tucker says that the moment Donald Trump said, I don't want to be president of the world. I don't want to be at war with the world. I want peace and prosperity abounding. I've got no interest in what's happening in all these places. That was the day that the eyebrows raised and the forces allied and said, can't let it happen. Can't let him um, get elected. I want to give an example of this. And Josh, bear with me. We may go a minute or two long in this in this segment, but I want, I want to get this. I read an article yesterday in the Washington Post, in the Washington Post, and I want to quote it. Um, to begin with, they're talking about the $61 billion in appropriations that Congress will not approve unless there's some deal on the border. Now, I'll level with you. If I were a member of Congress, and I'm pragmatic, and I'm reasonable, but if I were a member of Congress, there is no deal I'd make to send Ukraine more money. I mean, count me out. I mean, I'm a hard no. Well, what about if we include border funding? I get the pragmatism. I get the compromise. I get the negotiation. I get the diplomacy. I'm a hard no on Ukraine. I'm just a hard no. Um, uh, you stubborn SOB. Okay, Cobb. Well, well, okay, I'm in that camp. You're a Putin sympathizer. Yeah, I'm just, I'm a hard no. I mean, I'm a hard no on any more money going to Ukraine. But, um, Josh, let's do this. This will take longer than I imagine because I want to read some of this. Let's take, take our first break. I'm going to come back and go down that road of the, the logic. And I wrote something down this morning. War. The harder the pushback, the more extreme the defenses. And I'm not talking about defense contractors. The more some of these people are willing to defend what they're asking American taxpayers to do. It, it's, it's bizarre to me, but it may not be to you. Take a break. Back in a few. Okay, Josh, I, I believe that there is a legitimate debate to be had about America's involvement in some of these places around the world. I do believe that, that we have a, respons- a larger responsibility than any other nation in the world to try and help the world function, the globe function, the geopolitical apparatuses around the globe function in some modicum of normalcy. I mean, I don't think we're the, the world's police. I don't think we've ever said we're the world's police. We've kind of accepted that, and people have profited mightily from our, you know, excursions. And uh, But I've never heard it defended this way. Um, well, I guess I have, but n- not not as extreme as is happening now. And, and once again, the harder you push back on the military-industrial complex, the more extreme its defenses seem to be. So I read this article yesterday. Um, I mean, it, it incorporated some of the uh, some of the language from George W. Bush, speechwriter Mark Thiessen. Um, I mean, he, it, it basically, Thiessen wrote an essay. Now he's a bushy. I'll just leave it there. Um, Thiessen wrote an essay that the Washington Post writer read and used as kind of the blueprint for the article that they're writing. Um, they began by basically saying that Zelensky is this generation's Winston Churchill. Um, that, that's, wow, really? Okay. Um, but that's what they're, they're arguing. But here are their exact quotes in the article. You ready? Um, and I did cherry pick. But it's their words. Funds that lawmakers approve to arm Ukraine are not going directly to Ukraine, but are being used stateside to build new weapons or to replace weapons sent to Kiev from U.S. stockpile. 
All of this aid has become a major cash infusion into factories across the country that directly benefit American workers. J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley championed factory workers. Now, thanks to Ukraine advance and aid that Vance opposes, the Pentagon signed a $624.6 million contract last year to build Stinger missiles in Tucson to replace about 1400 sent to Ukraine. But they're basically accusing Josh Hawley of not being America first because he's not supporting another $61 billion and didn't support the $624 million. And he's not in support of American workers. I mean, if we reduced war to that, I mean, is, is war just, I mean, forget the Ukrainians that are being slaughtered. Forget the Russians that are being slaughtered. I think Trump said it most eloquently, and Trump doesn't say everything uh, eloquently, but he said it's, it's just, I mean, all these people are getting killed. I mean, all this young life is being snuffed out. I mean, the, the, are, the Ukrainians' average age of living soldier today is 43. They're enlisting 65-year-old men. They're going to run out of human beings to fight in a war. And the Washington Post says it's a job plan. It's a jobs program. I mean, let's, let's interject some humanity in this. I mean, wow. That's what the Washington Post has been paid to write. And you can rest assured they have been paid. I mean, there's some advertising contract with, with the military-industrial complex. I mean, I'll assure you that. It's almost like if I was emperor, king of the world, you know what I'd do? Heck yeah. I would prohibit news from being sponsored. I mean, I may even carve out a little bit out of the budget. Okay, um, conservative news, you get a million dollars. Fox News, I mean, um, liberal news, you get a million bucks. We're not accepting, we're not accepting sponsorships because you folks are too blinded by your loyalty to your sponsors to report the news. We should be embarrassed. You know, that sounds great, but then you have to remember, what is NPR? But I mean, I, I get that, but I mean, <laughs> let's, let, I'm not saying, you see where I'm headed. Yeah. I mean, my oh, frustration, yeah. you make, you make a great the, the frustration I have, the media should say to the... That's sickening, by well, the I mean, way. It, it, that, that's absurd, man. I mean, where, where's the humanity in any of this? The Washington Post takes an essay written by Mark Thiessen, a former Bush speechwriter. We know what the Bushies are. I mean, they're interventionists. I mean, they're the interventionists of all interventionists. They're imperialists is what they are. And they want to impose the empire, the will of the empire on the rest of the world. So we're not talking about Russian strategy. We're not talking about uh, preempting China. We're not talking about, you know, the world's a dangerous place, safety and security. No. And once again, that goes back to my comment. War. The harder you push back, the more extreme the defenses. So in the name of national security, in the name of um, convincing the American people that Putin's the next Hitler. Didn't work. Couldn't convince the Americans, right? I mean, you've seen the polling. 63% of Americans in January of this year supported funding Ukraine. It's at less than 50% now. We've gone from 63 to about 46 or 7%. There's a couple of polls out there north of 50. But the majority of Americans now are saying to, to, the, uh, to the world, Basically, hey, we're not going to keep doing this. I mean, there's no end game in sight. And I think Senator, excuse me, um, Speaker Johnson says it best. I will support, to some degree, funding Ukraine once someone on the other side can explain to me what the end game is. I mean, are we just going to kill Russians and Ukrainians until we run out of Russians and Ukrainians to kill? I mean, is there any sort of peace talk? 
Is there any negotiations going on? It doesn't matter who gets what at some point in time. I mean, are we going to kill, once again, the average Ukrainian soldier today is 43 years old. They've not had a single day since February that over 100 men did not get killed. Ukrainian men, I don't have any idea. I mean, I'm hearing now the Russians have lost about 350,000 men. But, but the Washington Post story doesn't mention the humanity part of this. It doesn't talk about how many people are getting slaughtered. The nation is completely obliterated. They're worried about it being a jobs program. Once again, funds that lawmakers approved to arm Ukraine are not going directly to Ukraine, but being used stateside to build new weapons or to replace weapons sent to Kiev from U.S. stockpiles. The aid has become a major, oh, okay, killing people has become a major cash infusion into factories across the country that directly benefit American workers. Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance, who champion factory workers, but won't support them where it counts. Now, thanks to the Ukraine aid that Vance supposes, the Pentagon signed a $624.6 million contract last year to build Stinger missiles in Tucson to replace about 1,400 already sent to Ukraine. So cutting funding is anti-America first. It, it is bizarre to me that this is the argument, but once again, when the military-industrial complex can't coerce the American public by, by its standard method of operation, by that I mean, Rev, this is in the name of American security. And the American public had all of a sudden said, eh, I don't know. Doesn't seem to be. I don't know. Well, you know, the world's a complicated and dangerous place. Eh, it is, but I don't know that we're threatened by that. How about, how about you know, um, how about the neighbor of mine who had a kid die of fentanyl last week? And they're pretty sure the fentanyl came across the southern border. I mean, should we be paying attention at all to any any of that? No, it's just the it's the uh, it's the Putin Hitler comparison. It's um it's the the you know the 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 NATO lurch, and you know it, it's the world's a dangerous place. Well, that doesn't work anymore because the American public have been lied to. The American public know the world's a dangerous place. The American public don't believe America can make it a safe place. We're going to exist in a very dangerous place. The world's going to be a dangerous place. China has ambition. Russia has ambition. Some of the European Union has certain ambition. Mexican government has ambition. The Canadian government has ambition. Some of the Scandinavians want to live a little bit different than, than some of the rest of the world. The American government, you know, wants to, wants to do things under its terms and conditions. The world's going to be a dangerous place whether America sends another $61 billion to Ukraine or not. But if you send another $61 billion to Ukraine without any clarity at all, you're derelict in your duty as a member of Congress. A member of Congress should require and insist before they sign another bill, sending another dollar to Ukraine, what is this money going to do, and what is the eventual outcome we're desirous of? And nobody can answer that question. There is no desired outcome. It's to fund a war machine. And I never believed <laughs> that, that a conservative such as myself would convert from being such a neocon to something. I mean, I'm almost a damn pacifist. I mean, I really and truly am. I, I've turned into all the military industrial complex has turned a good old neocon into nearly a pacifist Republican. I'm tired of funding other people's wars. It's not our job to fund other people's war. I don't give a damn how much the military-industrial complex needs to survive. I don't care how many lobbyists are wash, wa working in Washington trying to convince the next congressman or congresswoman that the next $61 billion is the most important decision you'll ever make as a member of Congress. Let's think for a second about the humanity. 
Let's think for a second about how many Ukrainians are being slaughtered, how many Russians are being slaughtered. And nobody in Washington is mentioning that. It's all about money. It's all about missiles. It's all about weaponry. It's all about the exportation of the American empire. We build an empire, guys, and we act like one. Take a break. Back in a few. 843 I want to clarify. I'm not a pacifist. I am a dove. I, I'm, I'm a dove. There, there is no doubt about it. I mean, if you categorize people in certain, we're bad about that here and everywhere. I mean, I'm no longer a hawk. I am very much a dove, and I think there is. I mean, it's bitter, but there's some vindication here for those of us who look at the realities in Ukraine. I mean, the media is not telling you the realities. I mean, I went back and read um, yesterday. 45 million pre-war population in Ukraine today, it's 29 million. I'm not defending what Putin did, but it's, at some point in time, you make a rational decision and you compromise, and maybe Putin gets some of the territory. I mean, is Putin getting some of the territory worse than every Ukrainian man being killed? And, 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 and here's what my problem is with America, Josh. Um, there's 55,000 dead Ukrainians since, I think, May of this year. Here's my problem. The United States military-industrial complex doesn't give a rat's ass how many Ukrainians get killed. This is to weaken Putin. They're using Ukrainian men, spilling Ukrainian blood to weaken a geopolitical foe. 100%. And that's, that's it. This has never been about Ukrainian sovereignty. It's never been about the, um, you know, the, the hope of democracy. This is about weakening Putin so the American military-industrial complex could could a notch on its belt and, and the taxpayers are funding this bill. And to go to the extreme by saying, hey, Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance, stop claiming you're America first if you don't support these military spending bills because the good old rockets that we blow people up are made in good old USA factories. I'm not stay stop making rockets. But, but don't argue that making rockets is a good thing when Ukrainians and Russians are getting blown to smithereens fighting over you know, a piece of territory. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Darlington, good morning. Morning. Uh, I'm the amen corner this morning. I tell you, it's great what you're saying. And uh, I, I would just add that I've come to think that the greatest danger, the greatest danger to the security of the United States is, is not any other country in the world or any other terrorist organization. It is the wrath of God against uh, making a business of war the way we've done um and uh it's you know jesus said those who live by the sword die by the sword uh, and there's there's plenty of other things in the bible too and god doesn't like hypocrisy and he doesn't like habitual lying and that's what the military industrial industry in america has done and uh and their media allies so Preach on, man. I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> I appreciate that, Sam. Sam and I disagree in some places, and I've not always been here. I mean, I, you know, I was one that became indoctrinated. I mean, I believed when the guy with the good haircut and the and the and the fancy suit stood beside a you know a military military general and and said, you know, the world's a dangerous place in the name of American safety and security, and to keep you people out here in the um in the American province safe and. And, and, and satisfied, we've got to do this. And I was like, yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, the world is a dangerous place. you got China and you got Russia and you got all these, you know, the, these terrorist-supporting countries and whatnot. 
and I kind of like, but but nail that. And, and and the point I'm trying to make, guys, is when that was not good enough, when when the when the politician standing behind a podium beside a general couldn't convince the American people that in the name of American security and safety, we've got to do this. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty generic, but it was good enough for a long time. Five star general, State Department with a suit. You know, highly pedigreed, highly accomplished, highly, highly capable. We got to do this. It's not that we want to do this, but in the, in the in the preservation of American safety and security, this is necessary. And the majority of Americans said, "I get it. I mean, we don't like it, but count me in." And all of a sudden, that same um, general, that same dignitary, diplomat in a suit, stood behind a podium and said, "In the name of safety and security," and the American people said, "I don't know about that." I don't know if I trust you anymore. Yeah. I mean, it seems like things aren't plant panning out as you always said they would. So, so once again, my comments not not in the uh, not in the Washington Post war. The harder you push back, the more extreme its defenses. And the American people have been willing in recent times to say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend another sixty some odd, eighty some odd, hundred some odd billion dollars in the name of quote unquote American safety and security. I'm not buying that. So all of a sudden. You're, you're not America first because you don't support American workers, American workers who build javelin missiles. Let's go to the phone. When, when I hear that, by the way, it makes me think like now you're hearing the quiet part. They're saying it out sure. loud. Well, let me, once again, the, to, the, the, the harder you push back, the more extreme the defense. It makes yep. me cringe. It, it's, I mean, it makes it's me ridiculous. cringe. I mean, it does. Not much makes me cringe. What Mark Thiessen and what the Washington Post reported makes me cringe to attack J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley for not supporting additional funding to Ukraine makes them not supportive of America first because these American workers build the bombs that blow people up to smithereens. And don't you want the American workers to have good jobs? I mean, it's kind of the parable of the broken glass. I don't know if you ever heard that or not. I mean, there's an old parable that a kid misbehaves and breaks a glass. But it's kind of a good thing because he broke the glass the glass man gets to, the, you know, the, the, the glazier gets to make another glass. Um, the glass has to be replaced. The service man has to make a call. Good for the economy. But what if the kid didn't break the glass? What would the store owner do with the funds? I mean, he may go buy a pair of shoes, and that's good for the shoemaker. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's an irrational defense. It just is. It's not, I mean, if we're not spending $161 billion on javelin missiles, do we bury that money in the mattress, or do we spend that money on border security? Or do we spend that money on reinforcing Social Security or making health care more affordable? I mean, it's just the parable of the broken window. The kid breaks the window with a rock. And there's some that argue that's a good thing. That keeps the economy going. But the store owner's got to unexpectedly spend $1,000 to fix the window. That's 1000 he can't invest in other places and do other things. So the argument that we need to do this because it's good for the economy will stop building as many javelin missiles and secure the border. Or make food affordable, or make energy production increase. Here, I mean, here. The, the absurdity of that. And I thought about the parable of the broken. I mean, I don't know how many of you heard that, but that's kind of my dad taught me that at an early age. I think it's after I broke the window on a storefront. Let's go to the phone. Boudreaux in Orangeburg, listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning, uh, gentlemen. When I got in off the tractor yesterday, uh, I only caught the last minute or two of your show, and. You were saying something about, I don't know if you were talking about the media or the left in general and why they were so invested in us being entertained and entertainment. Do you remember that yesterday? Yeah, we talked a lot about that toward the end of the show. Okay, well, 
Uh, I called in, but I didn't realize it was almost the end of the show. Didn't get in, but this actually will go into what you're talking about today a little bit. Uh, do you remember when Rush Limbaugh would say? I th- I'm pretty sure it was Rush. He would say, "If you want to know a position somebody has when they ask you about a certain subject, ask, find out. Are they asking you how do you feel about X, Y, and Z, or what do you think about X, Y, and Z? So they'll ask you how do you feel about a woman's right to abort a baby. They won't ask you." What do you think about ending a baby's life? They'll ask you, how do you feel about getting guns off the street so people don't get get killed? They won't ask you, what do you think about home protection? Do you remember Rush using that analogy? I do. I do. uh, Okay, good. All right, so you asked yesterday, why is the left so uh, entrenched in us being entertained? Well, a synonym to the word entertain is to amuse. Okay? The word muse is made up of the word. The word amuse is the word muse, which means to think. The prefix a, which means not. Disney made its first fortune with an amusement park, a place you could go and you don't have to think. You get spun around, you see pretty colors, you see pretty lights, uh, then you get spun around some more, and then you eat stuff you shouldn't. But you don't have to think about anything at an amusement park. It's designed to not think. So if you replace the word uh, entertainment with the word amusement, I believe that's your answer because they don't want us, they want us amused, not thinking, just reacting, just smiling, just being, you know, spoon-fed, as you say, uh, episodes of uh, Seinfeld. Um, But so when you mentioned that yesterday, I I thought about that, the word amuse and, and, and the two the two words that, that make that word up, and that, that's why right there. They don't want you to think about uh, the effects on our country. They don't want you to think about, well, what if Ukraine is just as corrupt as Russia, you know? Uh, so anyway, that, that's a piggyback from yesterday, but I that's, think it ties into what you're talking about this morning. People don't care. Yeah. Uh, so. Thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate that. It's kind yeah, of an probably, interesting. probably easier to control if you're not thinking. Of right? course you are. Uh, no question about it. If you are amused and entertained, you're not thinking normally. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, we all have these families that we get to know through our kids. You know, you get to know this family through these kids and this family through your other daughter and this family through your son who plays on the same baseball team and your daughter cheered with their daughter and you got to be friends with, with that family. Well, I've almost got two sets of kids. I mean, I had two in college, one in the second grade, all with the same woman. I mean, that was kind of my campaign catch, you know, two in college, one with the second grade or one of the second grade. One of my good Baptist Republican voters came to me and said, how many times you've been married? I said, one. Okay, you're good. Uh, You get the Baptist stamp of approval if you've not been divorced. Forget some of the other things, but that's, you know, beer and divorce. You you, you know, the Baptists have a kind of frown on their face when they, you can do all kind of other things extortion and embezzlement, that's fine, you know, but just don't get divorced and don't drink beer. Anyway, um, so I had to clarify that. Um, two in college, one in the second grade, all with the same woman. Well, my, my daughter is, what, nine years younger than my youngest son, and obviously there are two sets of friends there. So um, we got to know a family, and I think Rev met the family at one of my tailgates. Mm-hmm. My daughter has a, a friend in that little circle, and um, they go to Carolina together, and we've gotten to know the family a little bit, and I don't know, one night early this week, and some of you may 
uh, know about this and have seen this, and, and I'm not going to be personal about it, not about them, um, but it's about um, somebody was trying to break into their car. Now it's 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 important to Reb because it's his neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reb lives in the bad part of town. <laughs> um, I mean, he could live anywhere he wants to, mm-hmm. but he tries to be a man of the people and um, and lives in <laughs> just average neighborhoods with average with average Florentines. So so Reb, yeah. what? No, just I'm listening to you. That's fine. If I if I misspoke, <laughs> is there anything I've said inaccurate? Anyway, keep on. Okay. You're just trying to be uh, funny. I mean, some there, could be. I'm with you. Some's a bit uh, creating a narrative, but, yes. but that's what we we tell stories here exactly. on, on the radio. Exactly. We're storytellers, yeah. Rev. So I'll just um, I'll just let it roll. In. So so Rev has a ring recording of gunshots, and it was posted in the neighborhood Facebook group. It, it's around the corner from your house. Yep. The family that I got to know through my daughter, um, the guy that the 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 mother and father heard a noise, and they went out to see. Or excuse me. Um, the father went out to see what it was, and somebody was trying to break in their car. So naturally, he tries to shoo them off. I mean, you got to believe when somebody's trying to break in your car in the middle of the night, you walk outside, flip the light on, and yell, they run. They didn't run. They started firing a gun, multiple shots at the father of my daughter's friend. Um, I'll leave those people unnamed. Um, he jumps in the shrubs or something. Um, scared him to death, imaginable. I mean, you you got to believe, wow, okay. I go out expecting to find maybe some kids up to no good, and I find somebody with a gun. And not only were they trying to steal my car, they wanted to point a loaded gun at me and pull the trigger. I mean, that's another animal then. That, that's what it becomes. So, so I use that story to illustrate I'm not a pacifist at all. In, in fact, I want to, I'll tell you what we can do with $161 million. Uh, excuse me, the hundred, the sixty-one billion that Ukraine wants. So really, I mean, I think McConnell wants it worse than Ukraine. I mean, I really believe that McConnell scores more points by getting the military-industrial complex what it wants more than Ukraine gets what it needs. I mean, I think it's it's kind of a game with him. Um, it's a little bit like look at what we've done. You know, we secured more funding. Forget those people being slaughtered. We secured uh, more funding. But, but to prove that I'm not one of these anti-violence pacifists, because I understand the violence, I would put on the table, why don't we do this? Why don't for everybody who can pass a background check and can be perceived to become an honorable gun owner, why don't we subsidize the cost of their first gun? Because I'm telling you guys, the answer to a lot of problems in America today, and this is a bit radical and out of the mainstream, but I believe it with every fiber of my being is more good and decent people being armed and knowing how to handle a weapon, knowing how mm-hmm. to handle a gun. That's one of um, the most important things we can consider. I have no idea if my friend um, had a gun, felt he needed the gun, uh, walked to the guard with a gun and didn't have what it takes to put. I don't know any idea about the details and specifics, but um, we've got to be able to defend ourselves. And I don't think you can, I mean, you, you can trust law enforcement, and I certainly trust Sheriff T.J. Joy, but they can't snap their finger and a deputy show up in a half second. And you may need that deputy in a half second. So in the prior hour, in the previous hour, you could you could argue that Ken's a pacifist. He's not a dove. He's a pacifist. He's one of these nonviolence leftists. No, I'm not. I'm not at all one of those. In fact, I'll take the $61 billion, and if you're honest and law-abiding and don't own a gun, 
We'll help you purchase your first gun and your training that goes along with it. Because I think once you purchase a weapon, and I'm not talking about a hunting rifle. I'm not talking about a shotgun to kill squirrels and doves. I mean, I grew up around that. I'm talking about buying a gun and using Scalia's interpretation that this is not about shooting snakes while I'm fishing. This is not about dove hunting or pheasant hunting in, in the western part of America. This is about personal safety and security. Forget national safety and security. I'm talking personal safety and security. And you're personally more secure in a home that has a weapon and people living in that home who know how to handle that weapon, who are proficient at firearm, proficient at discharging that weapon. You hope and pray you never end up in a circumstance where you point a gun and pull the trigger at another human being. But if you ever are in that situation, you're capable, you're qualified. The word I keep coming back to is proficient. So I'll put that on the table. Instead of worrying about Ukrainian and Russian security, let's worry about American security. And for all the honest and decent men and women, let's help them gain um, ownership of a firearm and let's lead them down the road of training. Let's set aside some money. I mean, we subsidize every damn thing else in the world. I mean, the Second Amendment's second for a reason, right? The right to free speech was first. The right to defend yourself was second. So it's very constitutional. It's very amendment-oriented. Let's create a fund and let's subsidize. We're talking about subsidizing health care. We subsidize electric vehicles. We subsidize trips to the moon. We subsidize everything under the sun. Let's subsidize the Second Amendment. And if a weapon is $500, guess what? The government pays half. You got to pass a firearms check. I mean, you got to pass a backgrounds check. You got to agree to go through a training. And I'm not talking about read the back of the, of the cereal box. I'm not talking about, hey, follow the instructions. Watch the YouTube video. I'm talking about learning, becoming trained, that makes America safer and more secure. And that, my friends, is my primary interest. Back in a few. 436610937 is our number Thursday morning around 7.30. We always, not always, most times have great television senior national editor, White House correspondent, John Decker. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. Hope you're having a good week so far. We are having a great week, um, kind of an interesting week in Washington. Yesterday, um, the House launched an impeachment or voted to launch an impeachment inquiry into the Bidens by a unanimous vote, all Democrats voting against, all, I think, 221 Republicans voting for. What changes now that we have the official vote on an inquiry? Well, it formalizes the process. That impeachment inquiry had already begun, uh, but now it formalizes it, gives more authority and power to the House Oversight Committee in terms of what they need to do, their investigative tools, subpoena power. They can go back and uh, now uh, authorize uh, once again uh, that subpoena to Hunter Biden to appear before the committee. After all, Hunter Biden's lawyers uh, had said that it wasn't a duly authorized subpoena Uh, Now that, indeed, this impeachment inquiry has been uh, formalized, they can uh, issue what anyone would consider to be a duly authorized subpoena to Hunter Biden to appear before the House Oversight Committee uh, behind closed doors first is is what they want uh, for that sworn deposition before a public hearing takes place. So, John, the the timeliness of this, is there a deadline? Is there, I mean, is it time sensitive? I think Congress... Um, I think they, they adjourn today or tomorrow for the next, what, three or four weeks 
Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, well, so I, does I, that matter? It, well, it matters. You know, I think that what we're looking at it is is an impeachment inquiry that would eat up a, a good chunk of the first uh, quarter of 2024, uh, and, and then you know, uh, let's face it, all 435 members of the House need to focus on their reelection run. So, I don't think that this is going to uh, last. You know, let's say beyond May of next year, but it's going to eat up a, a lot of time, a lot of energy, uh, and it's going to eat up a lot of political uh, capital that President Biden has. So I think, you know, one of the reasons why many Republicans wanted to launch this, I can't speak to everyone, uh, every Republican, but some want to just weaken Joe Biden as he gears up for his reelection run, uh, trying to win another four years in the White House. And, you know, I, I think it, it indeed will weaken Joe Biden as this process moves forward. But but John, you're you're the lawyer and you're the insider. Does this give the House more authority, more control, it, more, more more subpoena power? Oh, absolutely it does. Yes. It it does and you know, I think that that's the reason why uh you have seen in other impeachments um including most recently the two involving former President Donald Trump, there was a vote to uh formalize the process to launch an impeachment inquiry. In the case of the first impeachment of Donald Trump, it took place months later, uh, meaning that the impeachment inquiry had begun like this one. uh, But it wasn't until months later that uh, an actual vote, up or down vote to launch the impeachment inquiry took place in the House of Representatives. And that was, of course, uh, because the House Speaker at the time, Nancy Pelosi, uh, said that we have the votes. We have the votes to launch that impeachment inquiry. So, uh, you know, to answer your question, yes, it formalizes the process and gives the House Oversight Committee and other committees that will be involved in this process, including the House Judiciary Committee, more powers as they continue their investigation to see whether or not uh, Hunter Biden's business dealings benefited Joe Biden in any way. Very well explained. Okay, this is going to be far more complicated. When I say Judge okay. Trump trials, we don't know where to go from there, but, but here's my interpretation. And you tell me if I'm close in New okay. York city, that there's, there's a, an issue regarding assessments and appraisals and loans and whether everything was on the up and up in Florida, it's election, excuse me. It's, um, mishandling classified information and obstructing right. justice in Georgia and Washington. It's election interference. And that seems to be the trial that most Americans are interested in. What's happened, what's going to happen in Georgia and what is happening in Washington. Uh, Jack Smith, I think, is asking for the Supreme Court to expedite a ruling. He's kind of end rounded some of the appellate court or the appellate court. But, but the judge pausing some of this against Donald Trump, you're a lawyer, you're an insider. What exactly are we, the casual consumer of politics, to make of the judge pausing the federal election interference case against Donald Trump. Well, she acknowledges that the U.S. Supreme Court has said that they will take up this very question uh, about whether a former president has absolute immunity over the alleged crimes that he committed while he was in office. The Supreme Court will likely uh, render a ruling on that of some kind, I would say certainly by the end of February, but I think even sooner than that. And what Judge Tanya Chuckin has decided was essentially, let me wait. Let me wait before I proceed in all the elements concerning this particular case uh, to hear what the Supreme Court has to say, because if they say, indeed, Donald Trump, any president, let alone Donald Trump, has this absolute immunity, then 
this case goes away. And so that case that she's going to preside over now scheduled for March the 4th, it's still set to begin on March the 4th. But what the Supreme Court decides could impact the start date for that particular trial. But, John, and, and I'm going to kind of get out of my realm of expertise for a second to get in yours. But I want to get from from my interpretation, what I've read, the way I understand it, the, the, the Nixon case, when he said that he didn't have to turn over some of the recordings, the court said he did. Would that be somewhat of a precedent into what the limits of a presidential immunity is? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, the idea, I think anybody would agree with this idea that no person is above the law. Just that concept. No person in our country under our Constitution is above the law. That's also a question uh, that uh, various judges have weighed in on, and they've weighed in on the side of the Constitution. Uh, That's why I think that ultimately the Supreme Court uh, is going to allow this particular case to proceed. And they will rule that the former president, any president, again, this is not just Donald Trump, uh, does not uh, have this absolute immunity, which his lawyers claim he does have, regarding to the actions that he took while he was in office. So uh, I think it's a very important question. And you, you raised the Nixon case. It was United States versus Nixon. It had to do with uh, recordings that he had in his possession and whether he could exert executive authority over those tapes and the supreme court back in 1974 said no you cannot exert executive authority and that of course ultimately led to richard nixon submitting his resignation and leaving office last topic i want to cover with you once again with the great television senior national editor white house correspondent john decker are we any closer to a deal on border security and ukrainian funding i think it's moving along I think what Mitch McConnell said this week, and look, I I put this guy knows politics better than anybody in Washington. Listen to what he says uh, more than anybody else, because he understands the process. He understands where negotiations are. Uh, He has said he does not believe that uh, a bill to uh, provide military funding, extend more military funding uh, to Ukraine will pass before the end of the year. And I think that's right, you know, given where we are this week and where Congress will be next week, which is back in their home states and home districts. However, that process is moving forward. President Biden has indicated he's open to compromises. And if he indeed wants uh, that security funding for Ukraine and also Israel uh, and also Taiwan, he's got to make some compromises. Uh, The White House Democrats do not control every lever of government. Uh, The Republicans control the House. They should have a say. That's the way government works. That's the way compromise works. And there will be, uh, if there is a bill that funds Ukraine, there will be policy changes related to U.S. immigration policy contained in that legislation. Very well explained. John, thank you so much for your time today. Been very helpful in helping us understand the goings on of our nation's capital. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Ken. Have a great day and a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. That's uh, Great Television Senior National Editor, White House Correspondent, John Decker. The reason we mentioned Great Television, Great TV or Great Television owns WMBF, the NBC affiliate in Myrtle Beach, as well as WIS, the NBC affiliate in Columbia, South Carolina, home of the Fighting Gamecocks. <laughs> 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Florence. Good morning. Good good morning. Um 
I was listening yesterday at around 10 o'clock, and it was kind of running out of time, but you guys were having a discussion about human nature versus human uh, manipulation of wants and needs. And I wanted to share with you a couple stories uh, that would give you some insight into that. Um, when I was a wide-eyed 20-something, I was working in, on Madison Avenue in New York City in advertising. Uh, growing up, I was just fascinated with advertising. I, I was kind of thought it was kind of like a magic world. And so I got a job in advertising, and there were three instances that I want to tell you about that went from you know, less severe to more severe. Uh, you might have heard that Apple, uh, Apple products said our job is to make products that you don't know you need yet. Well, when I worked at advertising agencies, we used to hire PhDs in psychology to help us push the human nature buttons of various demographics. So the first one was a deodorant product, and we found out that young high school girls were very embarrassed about sweaty armpits on their blouses, and so we positioned our deodorant product to capitalize on that insecurity of young teenage girls, even though some of the products that kept them from sweating have been shown to be related to breast cancer, the aluminum kind of products, and that's now starting to come out 30 years later. The second thing we did was there was a tobacco company that wanted to get young girls smoking, and they found out that young girls who were kind of chubby were kind of orally fixated, and they were afraid that if they were chubby, they might not meet their Prince Charming. So we explored, and, and I wasn't on all of these accounts, but I was in the agency, and they exploited the fact that telling 14-year-old girls that it's better to smoke than eat. And as you know, people who stop smoking gain weight. The third one, which was the one that broke the camel's back for me, was it was a fast food company that came and met with us and said that the low-hanging fruit of our customers are African-American males, blue-collar African-American males, 18 to 49, and let's get them to eat more fast food burgers. Uh, well, the epiphany for me came uh, when I realized, you know, who are the last people who need 100 milligrams of fat and salt? African-American males <laughs> who have high hypertension and high heart disease and uh, I ain't no hero that's understood, but I found it very hard to live with myself knowing that I was kind of an accomplice to murder 20 years down the road. But as it relates to whether it's, you know, inherent human nature weakness or exploitation, remember a lot of the advertising agencies, and they're the worst culprits of all the marketing type companies, their job is to turn wants into needs. And a lot of people get in trouble with their health and with their finance because of human weakness, human frailty. No, no young girl wants to be isolated as being chubby. Um, you know, no one wants to think that they're not going to get a boy. And if you're a blue-collar construction worker and you only got half hour for lunch, you're going to grab a value meal and chomp it down because that's all you have time for. So based on the discussions between Josh and Ken, I think you guys were both right. And I know advertising agencies hire psychologists to kind of make sure we push those human nature frailty buttons. Well Thanks, said. Thank, thank you, Joel. Appreciate that. Kind of an interesting, an interesting take. No hero that's understood. I don't know if Rev picked up on that. 
That's a good Springsteen reference. <laughs> oh, I, I missed that. I'm no hero. That's understood. All the redemption I got to offer is beneath this dirty hood with a chance to make it good somehow. <laughs> Let's take which a song break. is that? Let's take a break. We'll be, that's Thunder Road. Let's okay. take a break. We'll be back in just a second. I want to go back to reason and emotion here in a few seconds, but I want to go back to what Joe said about, you know, I'm no hero. That's understood. And I'm not talking about Springsteen and Madison Square Garden. I'm talking about should there be any bounds? Should there be any limits to what we're willing to try and do to coerce people to do what we want them to do? I mean, when I, I get it. I mean, if, if, you, um, if, you're, if you're marketing a product to a female and the data shows or the psychological analysis show that they're probably interested in it if you present it that way. I mean, that's doing your job as a marketing uh, person. You know, you're, you're giving them advice. You're giving them information that's valuable. They're trying to sell deodorant. So, so you market it a certain way. But, but is that, does that same standard apply to war? I mean, the marketing of war? I mean, it, where's the humanity in this? I mean, it, to me, it, it's not a big deal if a woman buys this deodorant or that deodorant or an African-American male eats this hamburger or that hamburger. But do we apply that same standard to war? I mean, I hope not, but it seems that we do because the, the military-industrial complex and the elite establishment are marketing the idea that in the name of American safety and security, we need to continue blowing up people in Ukraine. And when it didn't work, what, when the American public finally woke up and said, wow, that's what you said about Vietnam, and that's what you said about all these other places that we've blown to smithereens and spent trillions of American dollars and spilled enormous amounts of American and other um, countries, you know, soldiers' blood. I don't buy that. So if that doesn't work, what do you do, come up with another marketing ploy? And all of a sudden, war is a jobs program? And you embarrass Josh Halding and J.D. Vance because they don't support additional funding to Ukraine as being anti-America first because American workers build these javelin missiles that go to Ukraine and blow people to smithereens. I mean, it is, that's kind of what, I mean, we're not selling any uh, deodorant. We're not selling hamburgers. We're, we're basically selling war. And that's, I mean, that, to me, there's something mucked up about that. It Let's is. take no, a break. No, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, absolutely but, messed up. But it's up. what they're doing in the Washington Post. It's what they're doing inside the Beltway. I mean, it's so, they're selling war as if it were a hamburger. It's arrogant. I mean, it, it cheapens. I mean, we're talking about war, which is life and death, right? Killing people. Sure, destroying a nation. And, and it boils it down to, you know, we're sitting in America. You know, some people are. And they're using this as the justification. But here's the as quote. As opposed to why is it in our country's critical self-interest? Here's the quote. You ready? Funds that lawmakers approved to arm Ukraine are not going directly to Ukraine, but are being used to stateside or use stateside to build new weapons or to replace weapons sent to Kiev from U.S. stockpile. All this has become a major cash infusion into factories across the country that directly benefit American workers. Wow. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. Hey, kid, everything you're talking about ended up killing people. And, you know, the thing that gets me is where is Zyger? Like yesterday, where is Zyger? I mean, we talked about the vaccine and the fact that insurance companies are paying more death benefits to our children. And that doesn't piss anybody off. If you and I were born in the Ukraine, chances are 
your sons and my two sons would both be dead right now, which means you and I would probably be dead because I'd be, you know, we did grab, we, I damn sure would have grabbed a gun too and tried to kill them evil Russians, right? And so that means that if, that means, could you imagine that happening in America? I don't think it couldn't happen. These people will stop at nothing to kill us off and to have control over us. And when you get right now to it, the minute you had two leaders, you had a war. From the very first, when, when man first came together, and you get one leader and another leader competing to see who was going to be the big leader, you started having wars. But the evil is in these governments, these governments, these corporations, and the media. Advertising is part, in my opinion, is part of the media too. That they run these ads. Everything that's happening, man. It's happening to kill and destroy us and take away our freedoms. And not a damn soul, other than a few of us like you and I, see it and are pissed off about it. I can't get my my clients are so naive and dumb. It seems like to me, it's once you reach a certain economic level, you just become an idiot. And then you wonder, and you, you really do. And you know, and I keep telling them, man, you've never been in a fight in your life, and you're talking about fighting against evil. Man, you know, you've got to be, then you aren't. The evil out there is the government. It's not the people. My Russian guy was in yesterday, 26 years old, been here in America for a year, and I can see in no way on earth that I would ever want to hurt that guy. Nicest guy you want to meet. His sister was born in Russia. She was in the gym yesterday with her little baby. And I'm sitting there saying, these are not bad people. And I bet Chinese, North Korean, Vietnamese, I bet ours that are good people is these damn governments and the corporations that prop them up that are the pure evil out there, brother. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, conflict is lucrative. I mean, war and disease is the most profitable bit. We can't fathom the amount of money. We're talking about the vaccine yesterday. I know we got to take a break, Josh. Let's go ahead and do that. Josh is make, making the motion fairly <laughs> emphatically here this morning. He's feeling better. He's feeling better, and um, and he reimbursed me my cough drops. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're square now, Josh. Four for four. I think I gave him lemon. He gave me cherry back in in return. But who's keeping up with with the flavors? Take a break. Back in a few minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Hour number three on this Thursday morning. Do want to remind our listeners we will be on the air all next week, but not the following. Uh, we take a week off to kind of rejuvenate the, the juices and get our ourselves, um, I don't know, refreshed for the new year. It's going to be kind of a hot and heavy political year. Um, we look at our ratings and um, some of the uh, some of the numbers clearly show that politics, the political season, the political, uh, the presidential elections in particular, are um, are our most lucrative time to be on the air. So we want to be at our best. It's not the best of, is it, Josh? It's the best we could do of Wake Up Carolina when we're not here live and in living color. We saw this guy live and in living color last week. He's not live. I think he's still alive, but I don't think he's in living color with us um, this week. Drew McKissick, SCGOP chairman and co-chair of the National Party. Sir, how are you? 
Man, I'm doing well this morning. You know, I haven't had a week to refresh myself, but you know, maybe I would be better if I did. I don't. That means you're well, going to come back yeah. just just at prime A grade quality. Right? Well, but 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 dare I say, <laughs> big shots, big money, big time requires big commitment. So I don't feel sorry for you at all, Drew. Just keep digging and and get Republicans elected is all we ask. All we ask you to do. Um, I want to I want to throw something out to get your take on it. And then this is not, Robert Haley was with us yesterday talking about New Hampshire, talking about um, Iowa, talking about some of the polling and data that they believe is somewhat dependable. Oh, we just lost Drew. Okay. You hear that click? No, we lost Drew. Um, yep. yep. He's calling back. Okay. Stand by as Stand we try to get him back radio. on the line here. Uh, maybe we can get him back on the air. Um, maybe not. Maybe we can't get him back on the air. I think it is a connection thing on his end. Okay. He okay. sounds very scratchy sometimes when okay. he calls. 843-661-0937 is our number. Man, see, I was liking where you were going with that. Well, I mean, I, I don't, don't even know where I was going. I was mid-sentence. I don't know where I'm going to the end of the sentence. I don't know mid-sentence where we're... I mean, don't expect too much out of me. All right, I think we have Drew back. Do we have Drew back? Is Drew back with us? I'm back. Okay. I'm sorry. Maybe, I mean, I would imagine that's one of the presidential candidates that needed to talk to Drew, and he just dropped us on, on a dime to, to answer that call. No, Drew, I, w- I want to go and, and forget data for a second. Forget for forget the specifics of politics. I've got a theory, and I want to get your take on this, and naturally I'd be k- kind of wanting this theory to be true because it's in my wheelhouse, and it's probably very much to talk radio's advantage. I believe that some Republicans are still stuck in the logic of yesterday. Um, the way we traditionally got elected, the way we traditionally ran campaigns, the way we historically did things, and the voters today are giving, and here's my word, you ready? Political controversialist, more benefit of the doubt. In other words, when you say controversial, I'll give an example. Robert believes that the reason Ramaswamy went from 5 to 10 in New Hampshire is he publicly said he thinks January 6th is not as we've been told it was. He didn't say it was a fabrication. He didn't say it didn't happen, but he said there were things happen that the public weren't made aware of, and that would have normally been something you just don't say in the mainstream. But now because of it, maybe it's the era of Trump. Maybe I'm giving Trump more credit than he deserved. But is there anything to that logic of yesterday and this newfound way of getting elected in the Republican Party? Well, I think there's something to the fact that, you know, obviously things, maybe it would be better put to say in the age of social media. And maybe that's been the bigger driver, I would think, maybe than anything else. Um, And and not respected to his particular comment, but I've said this, you know, many times myself in other meetings and around the state and around the country, you know, and particularly to our opposition, you know, there are people, and sometimes even in the party, uh, there are people who will say things about you on social media uh, that they wouldn't say to your face in church. Uh, you know, they'll talk certain ways on social media that they wouldn't talk publicly to one another. But I'd say as social media has evolved, that's changed in some cases, the way people talk to one another, which affects the way people talk on the campaign trail when they're talking to voters. Uh, so there's an element of that, and I don't think that that's particular just to our party. I think that's society, I think, to a great degree. Uh, but, you know, and, and because of that and conversations that people are able to have on social media and find things and see things that they don't see in you know, what we refer to as mainstream media, it, you know, props the uh, – uh, makes it easier, rather, to, uh, you know, talk about certain opinions that people have that otherwise they wouldn't talk about normally, you know, on the campaign trail because they're able to get air, if you will. Uh, 
Uh, so I think there's something to that. I think, um, uh, and I, I think that that is irrespective of issues themselves, you know, regardless of opinion. I think that goes left, that goes right, that goes to, you know, whatever spectrum within our own party and different issues people want to talk about. Uh, you know, so there are less topics, I guess you would say, that are off limits or how to talk about certain topics. There are, there are less areas that are out of bounds. Uh, and I think, again, there's a good case to be made that that's throughout society. Is Are we a better party? This is kind of a weird question, but I'm a weirdo, so you take it for what it's worth. Is <laughs> Are we a better and, and, and more effective party with fewer or more political controversialists, people that run for office who they say things <laughs> that historically would have been perceived as too too controversial? I don't think it makes us better or worse. Again, I think that's more reflective of society. I but really is it do. different uh, today, Drew? I mean, are, are we are we seeing yeah. something happen that, that is that, that historically, I mean, it, it's, Trump said a handful of things that you know and I know would have, would have normally got you disqualified mm-hmm. and, and would be the end of a campaign, and he seemed to get stronger during that. Now we see other candidates mm-hmm. kind of adopting that methodology in a way, and I use Ramaswamy as the latest example, and it seems that yeah. that paid off by him saying that provocative a thing on the debate stage and in in the public. Or, or is is your job to get a le- Your job is to help Republicans win. Are we better right. off or not with more people saying some of these controversial things? Well, I I would just take issue of whether or not the things are necessarily controversial or have to be controversial. Did what Ramaswamy say? Was what he said controversial? Well, with with a lot of people, no. And that goes back to my point, you know, because you have a lot of opinions that have not been able to get air, if you will, in what we would consider the mainstream media when they sort of had a, a, you know, a a, a chokehold on how information got out and was shared. And now things are able to be shared in a broader way. Uh, and, you know, that had a whole lot to do with, um, uh, you know, the, uh, um, uh, what's his name, Elon Musk, you know, buying Twitter. And, you know, a lot of the changes that he's made into Twitter for just that reason. People will be able to have conversations about certain issues. You know, it was, you know, you couldn't say that, well, you know, we think that the, you know, the um, COVID virus actually got uh, released, you know, from a lab in Wuhan. That would get you canceled. Well, now, you know, it doesn't. And now they found out, well, yeah, you know, we think it might have come from a lab in Wuhan. It's possible that it did. And so, but the idea that people can't say, can't share certain things or talk about certain ideas in a certain way uh, is, um, I think, what you're seeing the notice on the campaign side is becoming reflective of what we see just in general conversation in society now because of social media. And you have certain candidates who will then take on that role or that mantle to be the guy who really go out there and say things in a provocative way, and that gets attention. I like, you know, that's, that's human nature. As much as I wanted to be all about that, I accept the reality. It's still a it's a series of caucuses and primaries that gain you the nomination. You did a great right. job in uh, in the in the Hilton Hotel at Myrtle Beach of explaining how this thing sorts itself out. If you don't mind, to our listeners yeah. again, kind of walk mm-hmm. us through what the next 90 days or so looks like in the Republican yeah. selection process. All right, so first up, you've got you know, we've had all the, these debates going on and other things, which are wonderful, and you've got polling that's going on. Nobody has cast a single vote yet. And the way somebody gets the nomination – for a political party, for president, is by winning a majority of the delegates to the national convention. In our case, it's held uh, in the middle of July. 
in Milwaukee of next year. Uh, to win delegates, you win in a particular state's nomination contest. Some states do caucuses, some states do primaries. Iowa is a caucus, so it's a series of small meetings all around the state. The people come in, they get in a big room, they retreat to the, their various corners representing their candidates, and then they try to cajole one another across the room having conversations on behalf of their particular candidate until at the end of the process somebody has a majority and then the votes get cast. Uh, that's total up statewide. Iowa has, I think, 35 delegates or something. They are awarded proportionally. Then you move on to New Hampshire. New Hampshire has a primary, like we do here in South Carolina. They'll go to the polls, they'll vote. They award their delegates proportionally. I think they have about 35 or 30 as well. Uh, Nevada is going to have a caucus. That is going to be early February. So first you have Iowa, then you have New Hampshire, then you have Nevada. They do caucuses just like Iowa. Three weeks later, we come here to South Carolina. We do the primary. Our delegates are awarded on a winner-take-all basis. So that's our rule. So you get one more vote than anybody else statewide. You're going to win all of our statewide delegates and probably all of our congressional district delegates. We have 50 delegates here in South Carolina. The odds are that, you know, South Carolina has traditionally been what I call the graveyard of presidential campaigns. You know, campaigns will get out there and they'll truck it along in these, this one state at a time merry-go-round, if you will, where they can focus all their resources on one state at a time. But when they get to South Carolina, after South Carolina's over, 10 days later, you've got Super Tuesday. We've got, I think, seven to 10 states that are on the ballot at one time. And the Tuesday after that, the same things, a half a dozen or more states at one time. So by the time you get to South Carolina, if you haven't won somewhere, uh, you don't have the momentum. You're probably not going to be able to raise the money and have the manpower and time and resources to go get multiple states at one time. Uh, so, you know, we saw in the last cycle, back in 16, the contest basically went to May, give or take, between Cruz and uh, former President Trump. Uh, at the end of the day, Trump became the presumptive nominee. He got a majority, a mathematical majority of the delegates committed to him. That's when you become the presumptive nominee presuming that you are going to get that same number of people to vote for you at the convention and become the actual nominee. Um, you know, I think there's a good chance this entire thing is wrapped up by mid-March, I think, uh, just my personal opinion. We'll see. It's going to be a whole lot quicker than it was last time, one way or another. Uh, and once you've got an actual nominee, then the party and the campaign at the national level kind of begin to merge. You have people from the campaign who come to work in the party and the political department and other things like that. The party takes on certain responsibilities for the campaign to help in certain areas. And then we're building out our network further across the country, sharing donors and things like that. Drew, one of the concerns, once we go to the general election, once we establish who our candidate is going to be, one of my concerns, and I don't know how you change this, but but I feel like we've had debates not moderated, but rather propagandized. I mean, I remember the famous, you know, Romney and Obama oh, and yeah. Candy Crowley. I mean, what does the RNC do in regards to that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it seems to me that you guys are a little less inclined to go along and get along with what I'll call mainstream media moderating the debate between a Republican and Democrat. Correct. So the RNC's Committee on Debates is uh, – actually, I'm on that committee as well. It's about 15 members – uh, for almost a year now, we've been going, we've been at odds with the Commission on Presidential Debates, which is a nonprofit organization that for the last, I don't know, six or seven presidential campaigns has put on the debates between Republican and Democrat presidential candidates. That commission is, quite frankly, though, just become dominated by people who are in bed with what we call the mainstream media. 
uh, and we get the type of debates and questions and moderators and so forth that you were just talking about. And so last uh, January, we sent a letter to them saying, hey, we're going to have to have certain things come to the table. we got to negotiate over some stuff uh, to get a better deal for our you know, eventual nominee. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to participate. Uh, and they, you know, bucked, and then they refused to answer, and then they sent a letter saying, well, your concerns aren't valid, blah, blah, blah. So we've held to that. So right now we are incommunicado, basically, with them. Uh, we've, you know, begun to just reach out and say, ask the Democrats, hey, do you want to just let us debate, or rather, you know, negotiate between one another for our own terms, uh, and we'll see. Uh, I don't know if they're going to come to the table on that or not. Eventually, though, it becomes up to the presidential candidate. I mean, we're trying to set the table as much as we can to give our eventual candidate as much leverage as possible in that argument. Uh, but at the end of the day, once we have a nominee, if they just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go to this debate, you know, we can't stop them. Uh, but, you know, I think we, we have laid the ground with that in terms of trying to get a better deal as far as any debates are concerned. Okay, I'm probably asking a question that you can't answer, but I'm asking anyway. How much consideration is given to the cognitive state of a potential opponent? I want to be respectful. I'll start to be kind to my elders. Yeah, yeah. But, but in, in other words, we're worried about the moderator, and we should be, because we don't believe we get a fair shake on the Republican side. Right. We know the, the media leans liberal, but you've got a Democrat nominee potentially, what, what I'll argue could be significantly cognitively declined. It doesn't matter who the moderator is. I mean, how much of that goes into the equation? How good a debater the other guy is or is not as, as we prepare? Because we're all on the same team now. I mean, you've made it very clear that it's not your job right, right now to decide who the nominee is going to be. That's up to the voters in all these states on all these different sure. dates. But once we circle the wagons, I, I understand we want a fair moderator, but how much do we consider the likely candidate on the other side? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to be considerate of reality. I mean, this is a reality-based business. If you're not making, you know, hard, realistic decisions about, you know, strengths and weaknesses of your candidate and the opposition, then you're not doing your party and uh, and winning good service. Uh, you know, I mean, it's entirely up in the air, I think, whether or not, if, you know, Joe Biden is their nominee, whether or not Joe Biden is going to want to do a debate. I think that's a question on their side, quite frankly. Uh, we might go through this entire presidential campaign uh, and not have any debates between Democrat and Republican nominees. That is entirely possible. Uh, and, and, you know, again, you look at what they're working with. I don't know if you'd necessarily blame them. I think you're, you're on to something there. Um, if I were giving advice <laughs> to the D's, I'd say let's not debate, uh, but rather try to win it from the basement again. Um, I got a lot more I want to touch on with you, but we'll, we'll catch up next week. I've got some um, – Yes, I've got sir. some reading I've done about the, all these nonprofits that are in the business of signing up voters and absentee, but we'll, we'll do that next week. I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for what you did for us last Friday and taking good care yes, of us, and thank you for joining us this Thursday. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. Do the same. Drew McKissick, SCGOP chairman and co-chair of the National Party. Uh, you know, when you're inside that room, I know it's formal, and I know it's official, but you still got to consider – the quality of the opposition. And I just got to believe Joe Biden would be almost helpless in a debate. I mean, I don't care if he knows the questions. I mean, he'd still be almost, I've always felt the best way to do a debate is going to be co-moderated by Rachel Maddow and Tucker Carlson. And Rachel, you take the bark off the Republican. <laughs> and Tucker, you take the bark off the 
off the Democrat. I mean, you, you know, would make it more entertaining. Let's not for sure. pretend to have a neutral arbiter. Right. Let's have somebody on one side with an agenda and somebody on the other side with an agenda. And who can effectively execute that agenda? They win the debate. Have at it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Christian Levis is in the insurance business. He runs a company called Real Choice Healthcare. Um, I've said this at varying times during our broadcast. The reason I do it at varying times is we have varying audiences during the four hours of um, radio brilliance that um, that we're responsible for. If you're under the age of 65, if you're paying too much for health insurance or feel like you're paying too much for health insurance, if you're buying it, you're paying too much for it. I'll assure you of that. Um, you owe it to yourself to give Christian a call um, without going into great specificity and detail. The dude can save you some money. I mean, if you're terribly unhealthy, probably not your guy. But if you're reasonably healthy, you owe it to yourself and your family and your wallet to call 839-888-3970-839-888-3970 or go to the website realchoicehealthcare.com, realchoicehealthcare.com. I want to go back. Um, John Decker was talking a little bit about um, the, uh, the impeachment inquiry that has begun. I've given you um, fair warning. Uh, there's a couple of um, there's a couple of names to be attentive to. One in particular is Sarah Biden. Um, she is the wife of Jim Biden, the kind of a lookalike brother of Joe Biden. Um, but, but the the House of Representatives did vote to two twenty one. Yeah, every Republican voted in favor. Every Democrat voted against. The but, one but the thing the inquiry is fully authorized by the House of Representatives. Correct. Now, and that's an official step. That's an official step. Well, I mean, what it'll do, it'll force Biden to testify, but it doesn't force him to, it forces him to appear. The subpoena forces him to appear. I would imagine, I'm not a lawyer. When can you plead the fifth? I mean, when can you refuse to answer any questions because they may be self-incriminating? I have no idea how the congressional subpoenas work. Uh, you know, when you can plead the fifth, when you can't, what sort of witnesses will be involved in this. But what the Republicans have to do is get together kind of the elevator spiel. Um, remember when, when they impeached Trump about the call to Ukraine? I mean, it, whether you believed in it or not, I mean, and I don't, but it was still that they had a kind of a, a brief three or four talking point narrative of what went down. I wrote this morning, I mean, if somebody in the um, speaker's office were to get in touch with me, I, I would help them along the way of creating the elevator speech um, $24 million from foreign entities were paid into camouflage accounts controlled by Biden family members. I mean, that's in essence where we're, what we're investigating. $24 million from foreign entities paid into camouflaged accounts controlled by Biden family members. Um, I mean, if you wanted to go to the next activity in those accounts triggered, what, north of 100 suspicious activity reports? I mean, that's kind of, and, and I'll tell you the answer or the question that has to be answered, and, and I think puts the Bidens in a, in a quandary, in all of the checks that I've seen, there have been photocopies of checks made available to the media. I'm not in the media, but I've kept up with some of the media reporting of this. All the checks seem to me to be signed by Sarah Biden. She's a Duke Law graduate. They got married in Kentucky. She went to work at some of these lobbying and consulting firms, some of the big Biden donors. 
basically gave her a job. I mean, you got to believe that Biden said, hey, I got this sister-in-law. She graduated from Duke Law. She needs a good job. I mean, do y'all have a place in your legal department at your, you know, lobbying firm, and she'd go to work at this company or that. They eventually started their own company. And she appears to me, because I think the Bidens are just not very bright. The, the Clintons are crooks, but you can't say the Clintons are dumb. I mean, there is no way, Josh, or the Clintons crooks. 100%. Or the Clintons dumb. I don't think so. No, not at all. No, no. Are the Bidens crooks? Yes. Are the Bidens as smart as the Clintons? No. Okay. Fair. I mean, that, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. And and I think the I think the Biden crime family. I mean, I think it's a little bit like the Sopranos. I think the Biden family found a lady who was smart enough to kind of figure some of this stuff out. Now, when she went to work at one of the Biden donors' companies, she got fired for unjustly enriching herself. I mean, they want to be high flyers. That they want to live a big life. They want to have big homes and and big cars and big jets and all these, you know, big appointments. I mean, the Biden Center at the university, you know, I mean, it's, um, I mean, they're, they're full of themselves. It, you know, this lunch pail Joe persona is just not true. Trump is full of himself, but we kind of know that. I mean, Trump puts his name on buildings and on planes. And I mean, he says, you know, I'm more famous than even you think I am. I'm more wealthy than even you think I am. The Bidens have tried to, I don't know, disguise themselves as kind of lunch pail Joe. You know, he rides the Amway. He's one of us. He's never wanted to be one of us. He's always wanted to be a hot shot, a big shot, and a big timer. And they figured out a way. But here's the crux of the matter. And here's where I think they've got problems. All the checks that Sarah Biden wrote are designated loan repayment. There's no record of loans. I mean, there's no paper trail. That There's no... I don't know evidence I mean, they, they, they that could, shows they could prove it if they showed a check written by Joe Biden to, for example, Sarah Biden. I give Rev a thousand bucks. Rev gives me back two checks for five hundred dollars. At the bottom, he says loan repayment. I mean, you know, we can debate what what the tax consequences of that is an illegal or legal transaction. You can't doubt there was a transaction there. I mean, I, you know, I wrote Rev a check for a thousand bucks. Rev said I can't pay you all back at one time. I'll pay you five hundred this month, five hundred the next month. Rev and I have a disagreement. He hires a lawyer. I hire a lawyer. The lawyers find the evidence. They they chase the you know the trail, and, and out of that comes okay. He did loan him money. And he did pay him back. We can't find any evidence of loans. It's all loan repayments, and Sarah Biden wrote the majority of checks. They were out of the Sarah and Jim. It's interesting about Jim and Sarah Biden. That may not mean anything, but the checks have Sarah and Jim Biden. Ladies first in Kentucky, I guess. Or she was the smart one of the bunch. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, there are periods doing this show, Josh, that we find a single subject or issue, and we drill it, and we drill it, and we drill it. Um, I'm, the Fed. I mean, we spent a, a week talking about the Fed, and and, and it's kind of an endless journey. Um, I, I've told people about the Fed. I've spoken to groups, and they'll say, hey, when you talk about the Fed, and I'll say, look, here's the Fed for me. When I got ankle deep, I was lost. When I got knee deep, I thought I began to understand it. When I got waist deep, I got lost again. When I got neck deep, I realized I knew as much uh, before I ever started down this road as I know. I'm more confused now than I've ever been about what it does, can't do, will do, might do, um, has done. The Jewish-Palestinian issue was similar to that. When, when Hamas attacked some of the innocent Jewish uh, people and the atrocities that went along we kind of, we spent a week or two 
you know, drilling into that and trying to understand it and debate it and discuss it. Today and yesterday have been as rambling as you could imagine. I mean, it's a subject and then another subject. And then, you know, the, the, the callers will say, well, I called to talk about this, but you know, now you're talking about that. Doesn't matter. Talk about what you choose to talk about and we'll adjust accordingly. I often wonder, is it better radio when we get very systematic and, and we kind of take an issue and we try to dissect and discern and, and pick it apart? Or is it better when, Hey, welcome back. Here's the number and here's the topic. And it ain't what it was in the last, in the last <laughs> segment. I don't know what makes more interesting radio. There's just not a dominant story right now. I mean, there are three or four different. I mean, I understand an impeachment inquiry has historically been a big story, but not now. I mean, impeachments are, you know, like censures used to be. They happen a lot more. Now, now will the Senate eventually throw Biden out of office? No. I mean, there's no way that's going to happen with a Democrat majority, but we're going to significantly damage Biden in the 2024 presidential election because we're going to find out that Joe Biden was very much involved in his son's business. I mean, they, they've moved the goalposts from, I knew nothing about my son's business. I was not involved in my son's business. I was not in business with my son and I was not financially in business with my son. I mean, they moved the goalposts like four or five mm -hmm. or six different things or different times. And, um, I mean, I just don't think there's, you got to prove to me. And once again, the elevator speech, you ready? 24 million from foreign entities paid into camouflaged accounts controlled by Biden family members. And Sarah Biden wrote the majority of checks and the majority checks are earmarked loan repayments, but there's no paper trail for the loan ever having been made. I thought it was interesting, you know, when Hunter Biden showed up at the Capitol yesterday, but didn't show up for his uh, deposition. But I think he had a little bit of a leg to stand on. I think the Republicans executed bad strategy by not, having the impeachment inquiry vote before, and it may have taken them that long to get the votes. I mean, they, you know, they may have cut a deal. We don't have any idea. I mean, it was iffy whether they had the votes. Every single Republican, including Ken Buck, who said he's not going to vote for it, voted for it. Now, I got no idea what changed Buck's mind, but they probably had to wait longer than they wanted to to make sure they had the votes, the 218 they needed to um, begin the impeachment inquiry. When he was talking, he said there is no evidence to support their allegations about my father being involved in my business endeavors and these, because it didn't happen. But he said there's no evidence, or they've presented no evidence to support this allegation. Well, I mean, they stonewalled the majority of evidence-seeking. And all I'm saying is, where's the $24 million? What the lady <laughs> on the Wendy's commercial say? Where's the, Where, where's the beef? Where's the damn money? I mean, there's $24 million floating around <laughs> out there in the ether somewhere. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. I did not have finance, financial business with that man. You know. Well, it depends on sounds, what the definition of is is. Sounds familiar. Uh, absolutely. Well, you were talking about how you uh, your journey toward enlightenment and all these esoteric subjects. It reminded me of uh, the old uh, science fiction horror slash horror movies. In the 50s, I, I used to go see just about every one of them. Those, uh, they always ended with everybody dead, and uh, they would uh, give this little excerpt to a lab where there were bubbling, bubbling beakers and that sort of thing and electronic dials flashing back and forth. And this guy in a, a white coat 
in uh, wire-rimmed glasses with a bald head would say, there's some things man was not meant to know. <laughs> and I think that's probably what they want you to think about uh, uh, the Fed and the Israeli-Palestinian situation. But it may be there may be an element of truth in those old movies. But um, I, I thought um, I have a question, and I'm gonna—I'll probably get a lot more done now that you're gonna be gone for a little while because I won't be listening to the reruns so much as I as I listen to your fresh shows. But I—I'm uh, uh, read about these uh, natural asset companies that they're coming up with. It uh, it's kind of a cryptocurrency for the air is what how I've heard it explained. And uh, I wonder if you uh, could dig up some information about those things because it seems like, like something completely new to oppress and confuse us that I, I've never heard of before. I'll check that out. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the, um, uh, the, the, the reruns are normally not as ah, fresh as some of the other, um, Josh does a great job of, um, of finding topical material to put on the air while we're going to week. And I said this earlier, guys, and I'll stand by this. I mean, I've built truck beds for a living. I've cropped tobacco for a living. I've hung tobacco at a stick barn for a living. I mean, I've run a side a nine inch side grinder. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of manual labor in my life that forced me to not be concerned about gym life. You know what I mean? And going to the gym, could you get your workout at work? This is mentally taxing. I mean, it's not physically taxing. The only hard physical part of it is getting up at 4.30 in the morning. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, there, there's no physicality to what we do. And it's hard to convince someone who works with their hands that it's that hard to work with your mind. It's that hard to convince somebody who works with their mind is that hard to work with your, with your hands. Um, but they're both hard work. And if you take it seriously, you're going to be tired. And the weeks that we take off, Reb will tell you this, I get a little bit excited about knowing there's a little bit of relief around. Now, I love what doing this, and, and I am unbelievably blessed. Um, I mean, I think Josh goes, why would he not want to? I mean, does you aspire to have a radio show one day? So I'm living the dream. I mean, imagine a guy who has a lot of opinions and a big mouth getting paid a little bit of money to express those, you know, aggressive opinions with his big mouth. I mean, that's kind of living the dream. But it is mentally taxing. I mean, it does wear you out. But don't you have people say, all you do is talk? You've got to be sure. I mean, some of these That's people easy. in his office believe this. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> some of the people that sell for community broadcasters, and I turn around, well, all you do is sell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we all do what we do. But if you try to do it to the best of your ability, you, you're going to eventually get tired. And, and you know, the, the, the week we take off in, in July, the week we take off in Christmas, we don't take other days off. I mean, the Rev and I made a commitment to him. He made a commitment to me, and we've honored that commitment. I'll be here every day. We may suck some days, but we'll be here. But but I enjoy that that week to kind of get away and not worry about Putin or Ukraine or, you know, the the, the crazy world that we offer commentary on um, every single day. Um, it's not fiscally taxing, but it's kind of it's mentally exhausting. I would say this to Mike, too. Unless you listen to the show all four hours of every day, there may be material during the best of shows that you haven't heard before. That's true. Now, it may not be as timely, but uh, also Josh tries to pick segments that are appropriate and maybe don't require timeliness. As well, well said. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a few moments.
I chose that song for a reason. Um, We're talking earlier about emotion and reason. I mean, our lives are are, are a complexity of that. I mean, mine is. I can't speak for you. You may be a Vulcan. You may have it all figured out. I mean, at times I I, I second guess myself about what I believe and and why I believe it. I think the, the, the Christian, excuse me, the Christmas season is a time that we celebrate a virgin birth. Okay, reason says, Josh, that's impossible. I mean, there, there's no way a woman can get pregnant uh, if she's a virgin. Well, um, the emotion of our faith, and, 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 I, and I guess that's what I'm asking, uh, how much of my faith is predicated on my emotion and how much is grounded in reason? Um, I said something earlier in the show, and a good caller and listener of our show sent me a text about the, the people of Ukraine being the children of God. And have they accepted Christ or not? You know, is that when they do become, I mean, they're creations of God. I mean, you and I are all of creation. If you believe in um, in a God-inspired or created universe and we became uh, a part of that, we exist for a period of time and we're, you know, off to the never-never land or, you know, wherever it is we go after we leave here. I mean, I know what I believe, but but I think all of our lives, and I think that Mary did you know, I mean, that's kind of a um, an example or a study or an artistic creation. Um, I think Mark Lowry of the Gaither fame wrote that song, and it's one of the great, great Christmas songs because it has a deeper meaning. It's not Rudolph the Red-Nosed Rhyme, and I'm cool with that. It's not Frosty the Snowman or the Grinch Stole Christmas. It is the complexity of what we believe in creative form and fashion. Mary, did you know? Um, wow. What do we know? What do we speculate? What do we estimate? Do we know that Donald Trump should be president? No. We don't know that to be true. We think we need him to be president. We think we want him. Well, I mean, that's a good example that I kind of stumbled on. We know that we want him to be president. We think that we need him to be president. Some is based on logic. Some is based on emotion. Uh, I mean, left the left feels the same. Um, I mean, I would imagine the left feels a certain way, and then they think another way. And I think that's what Boudreaux was saying today. A society today tries to condition us to feel certain things. And we're guilty of that here at Tall Radio. 
I mean, I'm not exempting us from any, by any measure, the majority of what we do here is, is prey on emotions. I mean, we know how this audience feels by and large. We've got a lot of data. We don't know who you are and where you live, but we kind of sort of know who you are, and we kind of sort of know what you believe. We, we've collected enough data on conservative talk universes of listenership that we kind of sort of know what stirs your fancy, what floats your boat, what gets your interest. That's emotion. But, but is it sound reason? Is it based in reason and logic? And I believe that our country, and I think both sides are guilty of this, are far too rewarded by preying on emotions and not reason and logic. There is no sane person on the left or right that can say reasonably it makes sense to spend $33 trillion you don't have. Now, you and I can argue, yeah, but, I mean, we did it doing all these good things and great things and being kind of a um, a convert from neoconservatism. I mean, I'm partially to blame for that enormous debt. You know why? We built a lot of rockets. I mean, we, we built a military empire, and we've, I think, at times properly used, and other times we've, we've abused that. But, but it is somewhat, and I think, Mary, did you know, when we head into, into Christmas, that there is a great balance in our faith. And I can't speak for others. I'm a Christian, and I know the struggle I have with, with the emotions of my faith and the logic and reason of what I believe. And I think accepting that as a quandary and a balancing act that we are all required to do. And, um, and I, I, I just, these people that are so sure of themselves, I, I, I worry about them. I mean, I honestly do. And I know I can sound arrogant and confident in what I believe at times, but I try to be aware of it. I try to be guarded about it. I try to be respectful of those who see the world fundamentally different uh, than I do. So, I mean, that's a long way of saying Merry Christmas. <laughs> and, you know, we're celebrating the birth of a, of a Savior. And, um, and we got four hours on the radio. And we got a caller online, right? Let's uh, go we to the do. Ball. And I could bet this caller feels like Donald Trump should not be president. I bet he feels and thinks if it's who I, who you're alluding <laughs> it's to. It's Jeff in Florence. <laughs> hey, Jeff. Hey, good morning. And, uh, yeah, you just channeled Joe Biden with that Merry Christmas. That was long and rambling. And I don't know where it went. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to to talk to you about like um you, you just said uh, you're responsible because we built a lot of rockets um there's no question that uh peace through strength exists right i mean that's the whole argument that donald trump and the republicans are making correct that's some of the argument i don't know if it's the whole argument that's some of the argument oh i mean how many times have you heard putin wouldn't have invaded ukraine if trump was president well, I mean, I, I hear that, but I don't pay that much attention. Did Ronald Reagan believe in peace oh, through strength? Sure. I mean, sure. Well, I mean, That's a doctor. I, I believe that. I mean, I'm not saying I don't believe that. I believe in peace through strength. I think we've abused the privilege. And I go back to what I read in the Washington Post yesterday. That concerns me, Jeff. That alarms me. I don't know if you heard me talk about it, but I mean, they're basically saying, well, I mean, build the missiles and send the missiles because it creates American jobs and, um, and you know, work, workers in the heartland are rewarded for, and I just think, and I think this is probably where you and I have common ground. You can't forget the humanity, whether it's next door or, or in a world far, far away, there is human carnage happening right now in Ukraine and Russia. And it seems to me that we're not anywhere near as concerned about that as we should be. 
We are using Ukrainian young men to try and minimize the effect we believe Putin can eventually have on Europe. I mean, that's what I believe we're doing. It's not about Ukraine's sovereignty or the birth of a democracy. It's about weakening Putin. But isn't it? No, no, but, but, but isn't it? Like if you were walking down the street and you saw a, a, a woman being mugged and you're, if the thought process is, well, that guy's going to get her purse anyway, I'm just going to keep walking. That's what's going on with Ukraine. Ukraine has survived and struggled and fought of all the countries that we have trying to preserve democracy or bring democracy to. They're the only ones actually dying and fighting for it. The Middle East, Iraq, Afghanistan, were all failures and going to be failures. And we knew they were going to be failures. So we were never bringing peace to the Middle East. You never will. But Europe, we have had success creating a, a partner and reliable ally. Do you see that? Sure. Russia that? was our partner. I mean, Russia was our ally in the Second World well, War. Yeah. yeah. But, so, so are we arguing, again, is, is your point that Russia is so irrational, they won't sit at a table and negotiate what is and what's not, what will and what won't? See, I don't buy that. I, I think that, and, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe okay, you're right. We, we I, I believe that. the reason, here's what I believe, Jeff. I believe the reason we've not tried to aggressively negotiate with Putin is it's far more lucrative to not. It's not our job to tell Ukraine what they should give up for their freedom. But it's not our job to make sure they don't give up. I mean, if you're going to declare yourself a okay. sovereign nation, let me finish. I think you have an obligation to be able to defend it and not depend on other nations to do the work for you. Okay, and that's that's great. Now, you do know. No, that that's not great. Empire, now, that's that's being dismissive okay. of something that, that I think deserves well, your consideration. I, they, they, they should be able to defend themselves is what your argument was, right? Yes. Okay, you do know that when the Soviet Empire was falling, that there was a lot of weapons and nuclear tactical ordnance that were in these small countries that the U.S. did not want to have available for, like, Iran to go to Georgia. And, and they made a deal. Or, and, and what was that deal? But, but, I mean, do you believe that we're obligated in future generations to every Ukraine. deal our ancestors made? Yeah, but what did we tell Ukraine? We, we told Ukraine that we'll always be there to protect you if you'll disarm, if you'll get rid of all these nuclear armaments and weapons. You don't worry about a thing. We'll take care of you. Okay. So are we going to break that promise? But, like, but, like uh, yes, we're going to make the break. That. I didn't make okay. that promise. All right. No, the United States government did. The United States government in what year? That was in the 90s. So, so you believe that every deal we've ever made retroactively should be honored? So, see, I mean, I, I, that, that's you, where you, we fundamentally disagree. Jefferson famously right. said, one of the most arrogant things a political body can do is obligate itself, obligate future generations to what previous generations decided was right or wrong at that point in time. No, I don't think we have an obligation to honor a commitment we made 30 years ago. I don't. And that's fair. That that could be your stance. I, I disagree with that. And, and I respect okay. your opinion. I think your yeah. I think you have a sound position. I just disagree with it. Yeah, and and and.
And I don't think people quite understand what we promised to those Soviet uh, uh, satellite countries that broke away. We, I mean, we what, promised what anything we, we wanted to because we wanted to win the Cold War. I mean, we made so deals we that were probably irrational. Weapons. We wanted to secure weapons from getting into terrorist hands. That's what we did. Do you believe the, uh, the, the, you believe the might of America can secure the world by not allowing weapons to get in the hand of bad actors? I think we do a darn good job. Ah, we do a fair job at it. I mean, I don't think we do a good job of it. We do a fair job of it. Do you think you'll know if we did a bad job? Yes. Do you think you'll ever find out if we do a good job at stopping? But, but I mean, are you the point you're making? And I understand it. I respect it. I really, I got a lot of friends who feel the way you do. You're arguing that if America steps aside, the world becomes a much more dangerous place. One hundred percent. Okay. Your your newsflash. Your, your, the news that just played talked about Putin trying to rid Ukraine of the Nazis. That's what his – what is that? Fox News is literally saying why, – Why was – well, help me understand this. I mean, I know that – why was Russia opposed to Nazi Germany in the Second World War? Because Hitler was a madman. And they knew it. They they know what a madman is. So 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 once once Russia decides to try and become a superpower and rival America in geopolitical, I don't know the consequence of geopolitics, they become the boogeyman. No, they were always bad. Stalin was starving his people into in. I mean, he killed millions. I, Jeff, there, but, but Jeff, there are atrocities all over the world. Why are we not as interested in Sudan? There's genocide, there's starvation. I mean, there, there are all sorts of things in some of these African nations. We don't seem to be that interested there. You don't think there's troops in Africa? Oh, well, I'm sure there are. You don't think the CIA? I mean, is we're, there? we're not waiting. We're not debating border security and Ukrainian funding in well, Sudan. This is a this is a war. Will you agree that Russia invaded another country unprovoked? No question about it. Okay, and that's bad. That's bad. No question about right. it. That's bad. I wanted to, I did want to talk to you about this. Um, this is why I called. You know what a trust is, right? A living trust? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have one? I don't think that's any of your business. Okay. So, but would you say Donald Trump has one, right? What I would imagine that? he does. Yeah, he does. All his uh, personal wealth is held in the Donald Trust um, uh, company. So he has an entity. The majority. I think about 80% of his personal wealth. Right. And, and so it's not uncommon to have an account or an entity separate from yourself that all your money flows in and out of. Uh, I, I can't comment. I don't, I don't know how that sort of business works. I really don't. I mean, that, okay. that would be you tax accountants and CPAs and all that. Right. I mean, I, I, it would be, I mean, I, I would be given an opinion from, I, I don't know much about how that sort of business activity works. You're aware that the repayment checks that you see from Joseph uh, or Jim Biden. Sarah Biden. Sarah Biden. Yeah, she wrote most of the Jim checks. Biden and, Jim Biden and Sarah Biden's bank account. That payment of $200,000. Six weeks earlier, Joseph, R., Joseph Biden's trust handled by a, an attorney wrote a check for 200000 to 
Jim and Sarah Biden. Correct. Right. Correct. You know. So is that illegal? No, that's I mean, we'll find out in an impeachment inquiry. My, my point is this. What business or the Biden? No, 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 you see, you're not letting me. I mean, I want to know, and maybe okay. we'll find out. Maybe they are fabulous businessmen and women. But but all I know today is the business appears to be a bunch of LLCs, a bunch of mailboxes, and a bunch of loan repayments. Maybe the impeachment inquiry finds out that they're a legitimate business. They did legitimate work for foreign entities and were paid what they should have been paid. And and maybe Joe Biden loaned money. To, to his family members, and they repaid him in, in nominal amounts. I don't know any of that to be untrue. But but why don't you say that? When you say you've seen checks. I've seen checks. There are wires. There, there are wires. I have seen documentation of loan repayments. <laughs> I have seen no documentation of the loan ever having been made. There is. There is in the paperwork. I, I've not that. seen any of that. I've not seen any evidence that leads me to believe there were loans made and then loans repaid. I have seen the evidence of loans repaid. I have seen no evidence, and I've tried to be fair-minded. see that evidence? How'd you see that evidence? Uh, Real Clear Politics did a deep dive. The New York Times, believe it or not, did a pretty deep dive. National Review, Andy McCarthy kind of walked step by step through some of this. It was released, right? Uh, Yeah, released, of course. By the Oversight Committee. Well, I mean, some of it was leaked. Some of it was properly and legally released, and some of the others was leaked. I mean, there's some information out there that should be confidential, but it's not. But that's not, I mean, that's not uncommon. I mean, the media gets leaks from Republicans and Democrats and always have intentional leaks. Do you believe that Hunter Biden should testify in public? Uh, Private and public. I think he should be deposed in private and then have an opportunity to testify in public. How was Hillary Clinton deposed for Benghazi? She was uh, 11 hours in a public hearing. Okay, so this whole thing of just getting five minutes, you know, uh, the whole argument of not doing it. I didn't make the rules. I mean, I I didn't make the rules of of, of what it costs to be deposed. That was Donald Trump Jr. deposed. I mean, yeah, Trump Jr., Steve Bannon. I mean, there have been a number of these guys that were deposed in in private. Absolutely, but did the January 6th committee make an offer for them to go public or private? Yeah, but they were crazy to walk into that way. I mean, that was a trap set, and they knew it. So it's, it's crazy for them to know it's a trap. Who will be on the impeachment it. inquiry committee? On, oh, uh, it'll be a mixture of both. Yeah, Pardon. Republicans and Democrats. Who was on the right. January 6th committee? It was Republicans and Democrats. Okay. Did, um, but, did, did, did every but one of those members Did every one of those members vote to impeach Donald Trump? Did we lose Jeff? I'm sorry. 843. we got to take a break. We went long. Um, eight four, The Ken and Jeff Show. Um <laughs> Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. No idea what happened, but the phone went dead. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Fox News already goes. Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing well. So we had a deposition. The guy didn't show up yesterday, but he <laughs> did show up and and make some public comments. What is the latest on Hunter Biden? And the, I mean, obviously yesterday morning, there was not a vote on an impeachment inquiry. We've got that vote in the records now. Where exactly are we? Yeah, well, I think next thing you know, you're going to see a bunch of subpoenas coming out. You know, the one thing that the those who voted for the impeachment inquiry have been justifying for it is that, you know, the White House has been stonewalling them. And they, they, 
the, one of the justifications they've used is because there's been no impeachment inquiry. So expect a number of subpoenas uh, to get those records and, and to get those witnesses they've been asking for to come and testify before uh, the, 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 the House Oversight Committee or the other committees investigating in the near future. Ryan, it would have been better for the Republicans, and I'm not asking you to play favorites here, but it would have been better for the Republicans to have the impeachment inquiry and then subpoena um, Hunter Biden. But did they not do that because they didn't have the votes, or do we know why they did one instead of instead of the other first? Yeah, we don't we don't know the specific reasoning for for the the dates that they chose and how everything went down. I know they kind of didn't really decide on the date for the impeachment inquiry until this week. So, yeah, I mean, it would definitely make more sense to have the inquiry first and then go after Hunter Biden for the subpoena. But, you know, ultimately now they're going to probably be able to use that as a way to get him back and potentially speak before this deposit or before this committee in the future for a closed door deposition. I mean, he's made it clear he'll sit there and do it publicly, but he wants to do he doesn't want to sit sit in private with this committee. But they've said that, you know, you don't get special treatment because you're the president's son and because you're a key witness. You know, you've got to sit behind closed doors for a deposition like everyone else has. But it will not happen in the in the next two or three weeks because Congress goes on vacation, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I, we're expecting Congress to likely leave either today or tomorrow for the for recess. And, yeah, they won't be back until the new year. Well explained. Ron, thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. That's um. You know, and, and I want to go back to Jeff's comments. I mean, we lost Jeff, and I apologize for that, but he'd been on the phone 30 minutes. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> maybe one of those track phones only has, you know, so many minutes. Um, <laughs> we ran out. Yeah, that was unnecessary. But I always get last word. <laughs> That's what you got to remember, guys. I mean, you, you can make as much sense. You can yeah. be as coherent. You can be as argumentative. You can, you can antagonize be as, the host. as intelligent. Yeah, but but I get I mean, I get the last word. But there's always a next segment. So, well, I mean, you're right. You're right. And we don't censor calls. We don't right. screen calls. I think Josh was caught off guard when Rev said, when Josh says, who do we let talk? And Rev says, everybody. And Josh says, do what? Yeah, everybody. We don't screen calls here. Um, yeah, that's not how they teach it in uh, talk show producer school, is it, Josh? Yeah. Certainly is not. You let the nuts talk, but you let the nuts that agree with you, right? You know, we always have these... Um, what I'll call out of the mainstream opinions. Um, some of my opinions are very much out of the mainstream. I want to go back to, and I've tried to explain it this way, and I think this is the best way to argue the point I want to make. When I argue climate change, and somebody wants to be a, a little bit intellectually superior to my stance, and I've got in some of these debates, and I mean, this guy knows more than I know about it, and he'll start down the road of CO2 emissions in 1977 and the glacier you know, um, the glacier getting smaller and the ocean, blah, blah, blah. How I many goes through about six or eight talking points? And I always respond in, in good old boy fashion by saying, hey, Bo, what's the optimal temperature of the planet Earth supposed to be? And the look on his face was like, I don't know that. Well, if you don't know that, well, why does any of this matter? I mean, if we don't know, we're talking about Jesus and God and Mary, did you know? If God created a planet, and God didn't leave a post-it note that says, hey, keep this joint at 78.6 degrees. How do we know what the optimal temperature of the planet Earth is intended? We don't know. We don't have any idea. The climate is ever-changing. It's going to always change. I would imagine, I mean, I've got some pretty good friends who are very familiar with the coast, and they say the ocean's rising. Some believe in climate change. Some believe it's cyclical. Some believe it's the natural you know, um, million-year cycles of weather and climate. and But anyway, somebody for 10 minutes says, 
I understand climate change better than you. I'm smarter than you. And here's why. And I offer one response. Hey, Bo, what's the optimal, optimal temperature? Of the, now, he's first of all, he's alarmed that I know the word optimal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny you started out with, hey, Bo. Hey, Bo, <laughs> well, what's the optimal temperature of the planet Earth supposed to be? And the good old boys around me go, ooh, okay, okay, okay. This, that's a good question, ain't it? You know, ain't it? So, so the question I would ask of Jeff, how did the Bidens get wealthy? I mean, wh- where, where is the records of their business? Where is their invention? Where is their innovation? Where is their creativity? Where, where is their products? Where is their widgets? How did they end up buying a home formerly belonging to the DuPonts? They've got this um, compound on some lake in Delaware. I mean, we're finding out now, I think they are... They, they are not very smart. I think Sarah may be the smartest of the bunch. And I think that's why they put her in charge of the money. She's written the majority of checks. It's not Jim and Sarah Biden's bank account. It's Sarah and Jim Biden's bank account. That doesn't mean anything to anybody, but it means something to me. That's a little bit, okay. okay. That's a clue. Well, I mean, to me, it that's is. That's evidence. She's the smart one. <laughs> you know, let's her. Let's let her. And she's not one of us. You know, she's from Kentucky and went to Duke Law. She's below the Mason-Dixon line. But if you read much about her, and I've read a little bit, not much, I'll admit, I've not read much, but forming an opinion from afar seems to me she was a wannabe. She wanted to be a high flyer. She wanted to be a hot shot. She wanted to be a, a jet-flying, limousine-riding, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, diamond-bearing, Rolex-wearing, Ric Flair, <laughs> son of a gun, is what she wanted to be. And, um, and, 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 you know, the only way they could get there was to peddle influence that Joe Biden had acquired by being a senator. And that's their business model. So if that's their business model, what did somebody get in return for the payments made to the Biden family? I mean, if Burisma wrote a check for X number of dollars to the Biden family or Hunter Biden, what did they get for that? I mean, where's Hunter's expertise? Where's Jim's expertise? Where's Jill's expertise? That's what I want to know. Hey, Bo. What is the optimal temperature of the planet Earth? Hey, Bo, how did the Bidens get wealthy? That is a very legitimate starting question. And up until now, I have seen no evidence at all, no compelling evidence at all that suggests to me the Bidens are nothing more than a political soprano. Let's go to the phone. Bert in Florence. Good morning, Bert. Good morning. Those seem like logical questions, but you know the answer is going to be they did speeches and they did books and they did papers. That's how they got all that money. You know that's the answer, right? Well, I mean, th- th- there's some payments that would be justified. I mean, if he wrote a book and, and got paid to write a book or in advance, I mean, but, but all of these monies from the $24 million, Bert, doesn't include any speeches. It's all from foreign entities paid into these camouflage bank accounts that are controlled by the Biden family members. Yeah, I completely agree, but that's the answer they always come back with. Anyway, I just wanted to comment that, yes, promises made should be kept, but when it comes to to Ukraine, okay, they are not a member of NATO. They are not our property. Somebody made a promise, yeah, okay, that person should be dealt with. I don't know how to deal with that. I really don't. I do think promises should be kept, but we had no business making that promise ever. And the same goes, that, that makes that none of our business, by the way. So everything we send over there, quite frankly, is just laundering money as far as I'm concerned. And the same with Israel. 
it is not our business. Now, granted, they're a member and whatever, but everything outside our border, I fail to see how it's our business, why we do that. And they, they go, oh, uh, you know, his, uh, it was a good good example if you've seen somebody being mugged. Okay, if i seen somebody on my street being mugged, that's fine. But if I get a satellite view of somebody being mugged in Uganda, I'm not going to run down there to play Batman. So we, we've gotten out of our business. We've gotten out of our area. You know, if I go to my neighbors and help them because their house is on fire, that's fine. But if I'm driving to Texas to see if there's a house on fire, then I'm a little crazy. And the same thing goes with sending money. If I want to help my neighbor out, that's fine. But if I can't pay my own house payment and I'm going to the bank to borrow money to pay my neighbor's payment, then somebody locks me up and, you know, baby feeds me and, and takes care of me for the rest of my life because I'm an idiot. And that's where the United States has gotten. We we have no money, and yet we keep, oh, let's print some more and hand it over and send it out. It's nothing but money laundering, and it's none of our business. Thank you, Bert. See, and I do believe that. I mean, I think when we when we decide where, when, and how to involve ourselves in foreign national or, you know, let's let's say – Let's say we have made a promise. Now, now I, you know, NATO's different. I mean, NATO's a binding treaty. Some of these other deals we made after the breakup of the Soviet Union, I mean, you could argue, is, is that, I mean, I, I guess diplomatic contract law would come into play. You know, what are we obligated to or not? But I do believe that America deserves a, a better treatment of its taxpayer dollars. We, we made a commitment. Let's say Jeff's right and we made a commitment we need to honor. We don't have the money. We don't have the money. I mean, we just simply do not have the money to do what we've obligated ourselves to do. And eventually, we'll get there. I don't know when. I don't know where. I don't know how. Um, the late Charlie Munger said he doesn't know the number. And he and Buffett know numbers about as well as anybody. If he doesn't know the number, I know I don't. But at what point in time do the American taxpayers say, well, we just can't do that? I mean, we can't afford to do that morally and ethically we'd like to do it financially we just can't i think bert's analogy was great about your house payment it's a great a great analogy 843-661-0937 take a break back in a few sometimes i know who the callers are sometimes i don't i know who this next caller is and if he was a clemson fan we'd go straight to whiners we wouldn't <laughs> let him but he's a gamecock so we're gonna let him on so the floor is yours cocky mike <laughs> Have you seen our schedule for next year? Golly. Yeah, it, yeah. Saw it. Yeah. I see yeah. a win or two. <laughs> yeah, we got three cupcakes. I'm going to plan on one, three of those. And then we play Vandy. So anyway, don't get me off on that. Um, let's go to uh, my Christmas wish. My Christmas wish is I want to wake up on Christmas morning, and I want to be so smart that I can call that idiot on the radio and tell him how wrong he is and then give him the correct answer every single time and i want to be so bored that i want to do this every day okay now next jill the problem with people like jeff and the liberal media and everybody else is the number of times they say nothing to see here nothing to see nothing to see here ken dave josh do y'all know any of y'all know what an irs form 8300 is ken you you may have dealt with this i do i do you know okay uh, Form 8300 is, is is an IRS, they they call it a, uh, it's a suspicious activity form is what my bank tells me it is, okay? 
And I went to, I had a client pay me $15,000 in cash one time. I took it to bank, I don't know, 10 years ago. And, and my banker said, eh, don't do that. He said, put $9,542 in today, and then come back in a couple of days and put the rest in. I said, why? He said, because anything $10,000 above, you have to fill out this form. You have to tell them it's an IRS form, and we can avoid it if you'll just break it up into two. Now, there are it'll get flagged in our system, and then we got we got a call for it. Jill Biden took out $50,000 in cash now you can take out cash you just can't put it back in there's no law saying you can't have a million dollars in cash in your safe at home you can have all the cash you want it's not illegal but when you put it in the bank they won't know where it came from this form came about i think it was in the 70s when all the drug runners were depositing trying to deposit 40 50 60 thousand dollars at a time and that's how we track illegal money laundering and illegal activity now i want to know i want to see jill biden took money out of one account and put it in another how do you do that ken you do a wire transfer you write yourself a check i normally call my buddy at carolina bank that's right you call rick beasley say rick how about take ten thousand out of here and put it over here that's how that's how normal people do things okay jill biden took fifty thousand dollars in cash out of her business account and then, in the, I don't know if it was the same day or the next day. It was a very, very, you know, short timeline. She deposited $50,000 into her personal account. Now, if that bank did not require her to fill out a Form 8300, then they are in deep doo-doo because they're violating federal law. And if they did, I want to see it. I want to see what, what does she claim. And, and, and these, are, these are questions that I hope get answered in our impeachment inquiry. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the call. Thank you, cocky Mike. That's why I got on the game. I mean, that's one of the um the privilege of um of hosting the show. Let's go to uh, our winners. We got about four minutes. Uh, let's get to the winners, Josh. It's time now for the Wake Up Carolina Winer Line, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. Call 803-720-5260. So, what are you whining about today? He was talking about the Ukrainian and uh, not being able to win the war, and which is understandable, everything you explained. I think the only way they could have won is if we'd have given them all the big guns and the big toys and the big stuff from day one. But they handled it just like Vietnam. Yeah, you don't fight a war unless you want to win the war. And America can't win the war for Ukraine. We just cannot do that. We're not trying to win a war for Ukraine. We're trying to weaken Russia. We're trying to minimize Putin's impact on the rest of the world. Some people support that. Some people say that's a wise investment. I just don't believe it is. I think our involvement in Ukraine, unless we, to the caller's point, are going to give them everything we've got to fully eviscerate or defeat Vladimir Putin we're, we're wasting a, a lot of American treasure, taxpayer dollars, military armaments, and Ukrainian and Russia humanity. We should thank George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John, all our founding fathers for having the foresight to pen the, the words that all men are created equal, which led to the abolition of um, slavery. We shouldn't be desecrating these men, um, 
we should be building more statues and bigger statues. You know, I want to go back and try to make sure I'm right about this. I've read a lot. You can imagine what I've read about Jefferson. I mean, I've read books and articles and essays and letters he wrote. There's a place in Jefferson's political philosophy that he got real, real opinionated. I'm going to imagine that. Uh, he wrote his own Bible. Uh, <laughs> you know, the guy got real opinionated about the the obligations this generation makes that Josh has to be held accountable to. I mean, it's almost like Jefferson believed in, you know, government government legislation sunsets. I mean, if we, if we vote this bill into law and it passes with a majority of Congress and the president signs it into law, it stays law for six or seven years, and then it sunsets unless government decides to vote it back in again. That's the way we should do with laws. I believe that every policy, every law, every government order or edict should come with a, a mandatory sunset, and it goes away after seven years, whatever that number of years is, and then you vote on it again. And if it was a good law, you vote it in. If it was not, you vote it out. That's what politicians are supposed to do. But politicians can get reelected by not voting very often. You've been listening to the Wake Up Carolina Winer Live, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. You got something you want to whine about? Call anytime, 803-720-5260. It's the official and the original Wake Up Carolina Winer Line. You know, one of the craziest things about this show, we'll go a month and all the phone calls will be in the 7 o'clock hour. We'll go another month and all the calls will be in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll have a month or so and all the calls are in the 6 o'clock hour. It seems like recently the majority of your callers are in the 9 o'clock hour. Cold weather, getting up late, getting stirring about and rambling around later than usual. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.